joining us on the Path Radio Mix online. And to get there, type in thepathradio.com. That's thepathradio.com. And enjoy free streaming music all day long. That's it. thepathradio.com. All right, now let's get to the main show, the monthly social podcast with me, your host, Guido Perino, as you go on with Guido. Welcome to the October Go On With Guido podcast, everybody. Ten months in, happy fall to everybody. We've got Thanksgiving coming up, Halloween too. This podcast session, we've got Fred Pitt talking mindfulness and a special session for you. Kimberly joins us and talks spirits and tarot cards and does a special reading for you. We are going to listen to some music from Ontario to BC with Latchkey and Quantum Jukebox. I've got a couple of articles for you in the form of interview tips, as well as discussing misinformation and disinformation. And the four fans are going to talk Habs, Leafs, Wings, and the all-time greatest captain. All right, let's go. All right, before we get started today, I wanted to tell you a little bit about one of our Promote Ontario slash Canada small businesses. Johnny Prosciutto, artisanal Italian homemade products. We make it like our grandfather, or as we say, no, no, naturally cured, old-fashioned, and delicious. The best part? We deliver straight to your front door. We offer free shipping when spending over $99. Order online at johnnyprosciutto.com and stay safe. And when you use the code GOGUIDO, you're going to save $25 off your entire order. That's the code GOGUIDO on johnnyprosciutto.com. I'd like to welcome to the podcast mindfulness coach, a former CIO and executive with over a quarter century experience, Fred Pitt. Fred provides mindfulness coaching through his service called Mind the Gap. And we'll talk more about that and the website, mindthegap.ca. But for now, I'd like to say welcome to the show, Fred. Thanks for being here on the Go On with Guido podcast. How are you today? Hey, Guido. I'm great, thanks. And thanks so much for having me on here. I love what you say. A quarter of a century of experience makes me feel really old. It's uh, hey, it's experience. It's experience, right? <laughs> when we start putting in with the word century, I don't know. Actually. But it's all good. It's all good. Thank you. It's a good thing I practice mindfulness. Cause <laughs> Great. I've offended the mindfulness coach right off the bat. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm just making fun of you. That's okay. That's good. So, Fred, let's let's establish some foundation for for our listeners. Um, you know, to me, mindfulness, like I, I think back, my mom would say, hey, be mindful of the cars when you play outside or be mindful of what you eat when you go away for school. And, you know, like, is the, is this the same type of mindfulness? What are we talking about when we talk about mindfulness in this, well, in this context? Well, that's interesting to hear what your mom would say, because kind of like be mindful of the cars is really, you know, be present to notice what's happening so you don't run into a vehicle as you run across the street. So that's, that's a pretty good example of what mindfulness is. Um, mindfulness is really, you know, to put it in terms that everybody can really understand. So I like to say it's like a workout. Like we, uh, or most of us, we'll go to the gym or we'll go out to do some exercise and we'll work out to, to uh, help our physical bodies, right? And 
doing some mindfulness is actually like going to the gym, except you're working out your mind. So it's, it's taking some techniques, using those techniques to build some mind muscles. And you build three muscles, their concentration power, your sensory clarity and equanimity, which is really about just being chill, like not letting things pull you into worrying or judgment or negative self-talk, just being chill about everything. That's what equanimity is. So those three muscles are what you're working out when you do a mindfulness workout. So really it's that. And, you know, you go to the gym to be healthy. Well, you practice mindfulness for a lot of really good reasons too. Uh, Certainly supports being healthy and certainly supports being mentally healthy. But there's tons of outcomes of a practice of mindfulness. Things like um, your productivity shoots through the roof. Your focus uh, really improves. Um, You'll find your relationships get better because you become a better listener and you develop um, compassion. And uh, even in a work setting, your relationships become better. Um, Your reactivity decreases. So a lot of people find themselves... You know, you'll jump in and say something quickly or something will come out of your mouth. And a few minutes later, you'll wish, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Or you react to things. Sometimes at home, sometimes at work, you have sort of this action that's there, this reaction that's not really well thought out. So a practice of mindfulness will really help you decrease that reactivity and help you think uh, through what you want to do before you do it so that you're not uh, jumping to things like that. So there's lots of great benefits, lowers your blood pressure. Hmm. Um, you know, lots of uh, uh, super benefits from it. So that's really what mindfulness is. It's, that's neat. It's, uh, so, so it's almost like part of it. It sounds like it 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 changes your the reflexes or changes your reaction, um, both uh, maybe uh, consciously and and not like uh, if if you if you practice it enough, does it become part of just part of who you are? It sounds like. Yeah. So. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you're going to the gym enough, you're going to feel really great. You're going to be able to bend over better. Right. You're going to be able to squat down better to pick up that pencil you dropped. You know, if you practice mindfulness regularly, the same things are going to get those those things that just sort of become built in. So, um, and you'll find, certainly with me, I found the equanimity piece, my ability to be cool about what's happening around me and not get stuck in worries about the past or the future or self negative self-talk or judgment letting all those things go just comes naturally to me now. I really am much more thoughtful about how, how I react to things and it's had a really positive impact on my life. I'm, I, that's good to hear. I'm going to have to use that, that word though, equanimity with my, with my kids when they, when they say to me, what are you doing? And I'm going to see, I'm, I'm practicing equanimity and <laughs> cause they don't think I'm cool probably. So I, it's another word just to fool them, but no, seriously. Um, that that sounds all very positive um, and encouraging, um, and motivating. Uh, motivating for sure, because then I think I'd like to have more more muscles. I'd like to have more mind muscles, and and it sounds like with this, that's a possibility. Now, I've been trying to learn a little bit, and and you know uh, sometimes you read and you kind of try to put things in perspective, and I don't know that that I understand it yet, but. It seems like there's different types of of mindfulness, and some of the ones I came across were. Ordinary, industrial strength, uni- I think unified, and and I'm you know scratching my head, and it seems there's other kinds as well. How do I know? Like, is am I am I standing in front of a um, a vitamin shelf and trying to figure out which vitamin I'm supposed to take? How do I know which? What are those? And and how do I know that is which one is the right one for me? 
Well, first of all, it sounds like you're standing in the cleaning product aisle <laughs> at the grocery store and you're looking for industrial strength. <laughs> hey, that is probably a good analogy. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, you know, mindfulness comes from a whole bunch of different places. So a lot of, of uh, mindfulness comes from a Buddhist tradition. Okay, the Buddha had a lot to say about mindfulness, but other traditions, there's in Christianity, there's been mindfulness. In Islam, there's been mindfulness. In Judaism, there's been mindfulness. So it comes from all sorts of different places. So you mentioned unified mindfulness. So that's actually the, the system that I practice and that I teach. And what unified mindfulness is, I'm going to try to explain this in short form. <laughs> it's uh, So it's created by a guy, his name is Shinzen Young. And his real name is Steve, Steve Young. But he was ordained as a Japanese Buddhist monk. So his name became Shinzen. But he's actually a Jewish guy from Los Angeles. He's in his 70s now. I think he's about 77. Yeah. And he's a pretty cool individual like he when he was a kid he was really into his best friend was japanese he was really into japanese culture they his friend's family took him to the movies one day and i guess he you know there was some ninja stuff going on and he got totally enthralled by all this and convinced his parents to actually send him to a japanese school in los angeles so as a kid he was brought up in la um, and learned all things japanese and then ended up you know in his journey ended up over in japan uh, studying at college university and uh, decided to write a thesis on mindfulness and thought, well, okay, I got to go talk to a, like an abbot at a monastery to find out how this works. So he goes to this one that was quite famous and asked if he could interview him, you know, for his, his uh, thesis. And the abbot said, well, I can't really tell you how this works. You're going to have to become a monk hmm. to, to do it. So he did. He joined the monastery wow. and became a monk. And uh, anyways, the rest is kind of history. So, he, uh, he's had an incredible career. He's a, um, uh, a math guy. He's nuts about science and math. Actually, right now, he's a scientist at the University of Arizona, and he, he's on the faculty there, and he's running experiments on the brain, specifically the basal ganglia, using ultrasound to uh, monitor the effects of a mindfulness practice. So some really interesting wow. stuff came out of there. But so Shinzen's a, a, a cool guy. His, his mind is very much the mind of a mathematician. So he likes things in charts, quadrants, uh, things like, uh, like that, um, so that uh, everything is, is understandable and there's step-by-step approach to stuff. So what he did is he took almost every tradition of mindfulness that there is, and he put it all together into one framework called unified mindfulness. And in that, there's all sorts of different techniques that you can use, and it's all very approachable, easy to understand, step-by-step instructions on how to do it. And one of the one of the main outcomes of a practice of mindfulness, ultimately, is happiness, for you to become happy um, and uh, to continue that as you continue your mindfulness practice. So he's actually developed... Um, you know the periodic table of elements that yes. we had in high school? Yes. So he's created a periodic table of happiness, and it, wow. it grids all of the uh, levels of happiness you could have throughout your life, depending on the maturity of your mindfulness practice. And it's like, uh, it's unbelievable to see this thing. It's so cool. So really, that's what, so what unified mindfulness is, is a whole approach to mindfulness. There are other ones out there. There are people would have heard of things like mindfulness-based stress reduction. That's uh, John Kabat-Zinn's method, MBSR. It's quite famous. Um, there are other folks out there. Sharon Salzberg does a lot of um, uh, loving kindness, mindfulness. Uh, there's all sorts of different approaches to this. So this is just Shinzen's approach. But it really, what got me when I first was introduced to it, I went to a, a retreat that he was doing down at the Carmelite uh, Monastery in Niagara Falls. Right. And I found this the first time that 
I really understood the steps of what I was trying to do. Before I did that, I would, you know, sit and be told, okay, concentrate on your breath and we'll check in with you in a half an hour. And it was like, okay, uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then when I went to, to his retreat, all sorts of instruction about how to deal with things as they come up while you're trying to practice your techniques. Like if your mind is busy, you start doing your grocery list or your mind wanders to something else, how to bring it back to the technique. Or if you're starting to fall asleep while you're doing it, little tricks to keep you alert, all this kind of stuff that I found really interesting um, and uh, really practical. And I thought this is a great uh, method to use to introduce people certainly to mindfulness um, and uh, so that's very understandable. So I was going ex- to ask you what drew you to the unified approach over the others. It sounds like you had a, like a personal experience there that drew you to that particular approach. Have you explored any other approach in, in since then or, or looked at them or, or sort of compared at all? Yeah. So I've done, you know, I did some traveling. Um, I went to uh, India to an ashram and uh, did some meditation with them. It's, you know, there's uh, the group approaches are all somewhat similar. Because one of the things about mindfulness is really concentrating on sensory uh, experience that you're having. So even if you're sitting concentrating on your breath, focusing on your breath, that's the sensory experience of feeling that the somatic feeling of your breath coming in and leaving your body. Hmm. And you concentrate on that as an object of focus. So a lot of the different techniques, certainly when I was at the ashram, that's what they focused on. And then also I was at a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. Um, same thing was focus on your breath was the, the main thing that, that was taught. What I like about uh, Shinsen's method is you can focus on any sensory experience. So I can actually open my eyes and focus on what I'm seeing visually or what I'm hearing in my environment or what I'm even seeing in my mind or hearing in my mind. Right. And I can even take my emotions and see how they're expressing themselves in my physical body. Kind of like when you're happy, your face feels lifted, your chest feels lifted. You can actually focus on those feelings, those sensory experiences um, as your object of focus as you're doing a, a mindfulness technique. So I found that certainly the ones that I've tried out yeah. are all similar that way because of the sense experience. Unified mindfulness expands it to pretty much every sensory experience you have. So it sounds it sounds more it sounds uh it's got a um a wider range of, of adaptiveness or, or more adaptive to these to these other sensories. Well that's yeah that's a good way of looking at it. One of the thing one of the big things about unified mindfulness is there's a ton of choice. One technique might not work for you one day, but another one probably will. And so you have lots of choice. There's things that make you feel good, things that make you feel restful, um, you know, all sorts of different uh, experiences you can use for your technique, sort of your, as you're at the mindfulness gym that day, what equipment do you feel like working out on today? And you pick your equipment and then you do your technique and then, you know, you reap the benefits over time. So I was going to ask you and you, you kind of, you're, you must be reading my mind a little bit. Cause I was going to say, so you're a mindfulness coach, but how often do you practice it yourself? Is, is it, and I was is it something that you prepare to do? Like when you do go to the gym, like do you have a, a, a mindfulness outfit that you put on and, or is there other, <laughs> I'm trying to visualize this. Like, is it, do you do any other type of prep or, or, um, you know, and I guess Fred and, and forgive me, I, I, I get off on these sort of multi-layered interview questions. Um, do you have to be in the same place every time to do mindfulness or, or can it be done anywhere? So do you, I, I'm trying to visualize me. Do you, do you get into an outfit? Do you, like, how does this all, how does this all play out when you go to the gym, the mindfulness gym? Okay. So there's lots of ways to do this. You don't have to be in the same place. So basically in the unified mindfulness tradition, 
If you practice a minimum of 10 minutes a day and you keep that up consistently, that will progress your practice. So you'll mature as a mindfulness practitioner with just 10 minutes minimum a day. Now, if you do more than 10 minutes, you might, your maturity and your practice will happen quicker, but 10 minutes is good. So you can do that in a number of different ways. One is through formal sitting. So formal sitting is really when you pick a place that you want to sit every day. So for me, I do I do meditate every day, and I meditate in the morning. I sit in a chair uh, in my house and um, practice. I practice at least a half an hour. Sometimes if I have more time, I'll do more than that. And so, you know, there's a your, your posture is important for that. You want your back to be upright, etc., so that you're, you're remaining alert because the idea of mindfulness is not to fall asleep. So you got to try and stay alert. You know, if you fall asleep, it's all good because you probably had to sleep. So just let it happen. But you kind of want to be alert to, uh, to uh, achieve the benefits. So there's that. You can do that formal practice every day. But there's a, you know, you can take practice into your daily life. So there's something called a micro hit. So remember I said minimum of 10 minutes a day for formal practice. A micro hit is anything under 10 minutes. That could be like 15 seconds or it could be like 30 seconds, 60 seconds. So, you know, all of us have experienced this recently where we've had to stand in line outside of a grocery store, right? Yeah. Waiting to, waiting to go in. Well, what a great time to practice a micro hit of meditation. You pick a technique that you've learned through unified mindfulness and you can just do it on the spot. And maybe you're doing something using your external vision where your eyes are open. And you can look around at the cars in the parking lot or the trees over there on the other side. And you can concentrate on those, focus on those as your object of focus. And you just do uh, like a short little micro hit. You can do those anywhere while you're waiting in line at Tim's. While you're walking, well, you don't have to walk down the hall to the bathroom anymore. It's probably shorter because you're at home. But while you're, you know, even while you're driving. Yeah. So there's some techniques that really keep you focused on what you're seeing, what you're hearing. And it really keeps you alert. So those are all things you want to be happening when you're driving. So you can, you can do that as a little practice. So those micro hits are great and they add up over time. You know, if you do those while you're out for a walk, I hike a lot. I'm up here in Collingwood and I hike up Blue Mountain quite often. And often I'll just switch into um, a seeing out meditation where I'm looking at the trees or looking at the birds or the fields and using that and doing a little micro hit of that. So there's that too. So there's a, so micro hits, formal practice. Another way to do it, is called background practice. And this is an interesting one for people like you and me who had a lot of experience in meetings, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can actually do a restful technique. about then Take up about 20% of your concentration. So it's really kind of in the back of your mind while you're listening to, while you're participating in a meeting. So the meeting is taking up about 80% of your concentration where the background practice is going on in the background. And, you know, you're going to slip in and out of it. After a few minutes, you're going to realize, oh, I forgot that I was doing it. Maybe go back into it. <laughs> but that happens. But, yeah, it's a great way to do it. You're doing a little micro hit of background practice. Background practice can be as long as you want or as short as you want. But that's something you can do while you're listening to a concert. Um, you know, all sorts of ways you, you can do uh, a background practice. So, yeah, great ways to do mindfulness in daily life um, as well as formal practice. You don't have to wear anything special. Uh, you know, you don't have to look funny. You can, if you want to light a candle, you can do that if that works oh. for you. Um, if you want a little vase in front of you with some nice flowers, whatever, whatever does, works for you. Does music? And you can sit, you can sit like on a, you can be on a cushion. You can be, there are special kneeling benches for meditating that help keep your back posture uh, in a great shape or just sit in a chair 
or like while you're walking or sitting driving. Does mu- does music play into it at all, or or? So you can use music um, for for certain techniques. So, for instance, there's a technique called feel good, which really um, uh, gets you into a feel good emotional state. And then how that manifests manifests physically in your body, that physical manifestation of that emotion is what you focus on. So you kind of trigger it with some music. So here's a good one. So (laughs) the way I trigger feel good is I think of a performance that I've seen on YouTube like a million times, Aretha Franklin singing I or you make me feel like a natural woman yeah. at the Carol King uh, uh, honor honored award or something at the Lincoln Center in, in New York and it is the most fantastic diva performance I've ever seen like she just kills the song and she's got this huge mink coat on or fur coat and in the middle of the final like bridge she drops it on the floor and the audience goes wild and like she's just she just milks it and she's just so perfect perfection at it and it makes me feel so good watching that performance and my whole body lights up like my chest will lighten up my my cheek muscles lighten up because i'm smiling so much and i can actually the glow that that creates i can focus and concentrate on that until it fades and that's a feel good meditation technique that's, cool. that's used use music that's cool and you have awareness that this is all happening so that, that's that's it's pretty cool yeah yeah so that that's neat. So I don't have to I don't have to dress in in sweatpants or or do any of that, and I can kind of do it. And you gave us some really good examples of the different places and and some of the techniques and and types of things. Now, Fred, I, I usually ask uh, I usually ask guests something along the lines of, uh, "Look, is is this what you wanted to be when you grew up, and 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 how did you get here?" Now, in your case, I, we've talked it earlier, and I won't mention the years again, but you've been an executive in, in the private and public sector. So, so obviously, this wasn't for your first career or base. But um, that being said, at some point in your career, something pulled you towards mindfulness. And I know you've talked about that one event that you attended. Um, but is, was there a moment other than that where you said, hey, you know what? I, I'm going on this path where I know, not only want to learn it, um, but I want to, I want to coach it. I want to, I want to teach. I want to, I want to share it with other people in a, in a sort of a, a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, what I was just going to say. So, oh yeah. Um, you said a <laughs> point in time when you, when you thought, oh, this is what I want to do. And I got to say, so I'm 62 now. I was just saying to my cousin tonight, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, you know, <laughs> it's like, you just keep trawing everything out and, uh, and uh, see what you like. But yeah, so, you know, that's an interesting question, Guido. So I certainly working as an executive, um, I found challenging, um, and, uh, took a hit on my ego, which was like in full bloom at the time. And, uh, uh, so I, you know, I, I actually, looked for something to help me cope with my job. I needed, cause I just wasn't healthy and the stress was getting to me. It was affecting me in all sorts of aspects of my life. And, you know, I took myself to a yoga retreat in Hawaii thinking maybe if I do some yoga, that's going to help me calm down. And when I was at that yoga retreat, luckily I was introduced to mindfulness. So that's yeah. kind of how I came to it. But it's, you know, it was that job is was what I was doing at the time that I discovered mindfulness. But it's really a lifetime of stuff that builds up. I think um, you know and uh, ends up resulting in people going on journeys of self discovery. That's probably the best way to put it. And I think yeah. probably a lot of people 
do that and they start to look into themselves, start to understand themselves better as a person and that's sort of how they got to where they were. So, yeah, I think that certainly found it when I was working as an executive because that kind of pushed me over the top. But um, it would have been, I, you know, I really wish I would have understood what mindfulness was all about when I was a kid and learned it back <laughs> then. I think I would have had a different perspective on how to react right. and how to how to deal with the stuff that was coming up in my mind around negative self-talk. Um, mm. You know, I would even say some self-loathing some uh, certainly worry and anxiety and all that stuff. A mindfulness practice helps you manage that and work your way through that to give your mind a break and um, let some resilience build in it right. and help you out. So, yeah, so it was about that. And, that, you know, when I when I met Shenzhen at that retreat in Niagara Falls, that's when I knew, oh, this is for me and this is what I want to do when I grow up, or my next phase of growing up at least, <laughs> which I'm in now, and, and here I am doing it. Yeah. So it all, it all started, it's, you know, and you're right, the negativity can snowball, but it all started on the big island, it sounds like, in Hawaii, with, when you were kind of doing the retreat thing, and, and uh, obviously snow melts, snow melts in Hawaii, and then you came back and you, you had your, uh, your experience in Niagara. Now, if, if someone else wanted to do this, like if somebody else said, Hey, this sounds really neat. I'd like to someday be a coach. Is there, and forgive me, is there like, do you go to school? Like, do you, is there a program? How do you, do you, or, or is it like, you know, you have to achieve certain levels or, and, and somebody tells you, yeah, you know, you're, how does, how does one go about doing that? Like, well, there's, it's a good question. There's all sorts of different uh, organizations that are teaching mindfulness and teaching teachers. Um, the one that I studied with is unifiedmindfulness.com. And uh, they have a great, even if you don't want to teach, they have a great introductory program that's free, actually, and it's online. And it's at unifiedmindfulness.com slash core, C-O-R-E. And that's the name of their their sort of introduction fundamentals course. Okay. It's a self-guided uh, um, e-learning program. It's pretty cute how they've done it up and uh, teaches you the fundamentals of getting going. And then, you know, um, there's a lot going on with Unified Mindfulness. There are retreats, and there's certainly virtual retreats now that uh, we've gone through the pandemic. Shenzhen is doing some things virtually, and you can um, get connected into those. And there's space for people who are beginners, um, you know, who want to get that level of guidance. And there's space for people who are uh, more advanced as well. And then if you want to teach it, Unified Mindfulness um, has... More pro. I just started like a master's level program. Oh, so there is. There, there's like a whole Saturday. certification. Yeah, there's certification. So there's a number of courses. I, I think I'm like I'm on the, doing the top level. So I think it's been uh-huh. three or four courses now. Um, take it up there. But great. Uh, it's a really great um, um, framework of teaching te- teaching people how to teach and how to coach people on this because there's some some real subtleties in the way you have to understand how people are reacting to stuff and help them, you know, dig into some stuff that's coming up for them. So, uh, it, they do a great job of teaching teachers at unifiedmindfulness.com. So it, I, I, I get no remuneration from them for saying that. So just well, it's okay. Thing. I, I always mention all sorts of, I, I, I'm dropping all sorts of product brands when I do the podcast because <laughs> 
I'm thinking, hey, maybe they'll listen and say, hey, yeah, we'll send you a case of, you know, something or I don't know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. But I'll, I'll throw that in the podcast notes along with your website, which is mindthegap.ca. And, and, and uh, I think I have a question later about that, but um, I'll, I'll throw that in there as well. Now, you've mentioned um, you've mentioned how you use mindfulness and and, you know, part of it was uh, through some experiences at work and, and you kind of learned it that way. But um, how does it tie into being a leader from the perspective of can the techniques, even the ones you shared with us, um, can they be applied if you're leading like a large organization or, or managing a small team in terms of, and the, and the, the thing I, or the, the example I'm thinking in my, in my head, uh, Fred is, you know, I think of a sports team, right? And, and we just came off the heels of a Stanley Cup and, and, you know, the, the Euro Cup and, um, you know, as a leader, as a coach, as a, as a CIO, uh, whatever, whatever the leadership title you have, um, is, can you leverage this with the team? Yeah, definitely. So I've worked with some sports teams. So oh. for instance, uh, a water polo team in, uh, Toronto. Um, had me come in and help them. And so, you know, water polo is a pretty uh, uh, grueling one hour in the water. And especially if you don't have that many people to to, uh, to spare you off for a, a rest. And this is this would relate to any sort of uh, athletic endeavor or team endeavor. So, you know, you take a shot. Let's say you're taking a shot and you miss where you were aiming for or it doesn't go well and you start to beat yourself up. Like beating yourself up is, is something that any athlete can right. can relate to. Well, you don't have time to beat yourself up in a in a water polo game uh, because the clock's ticking, man, and you got to get back in there and you have to be playing at your fullest potential. And if you're busy beating yourself up, you're not going to be able to play at your fullest potential, right? So you really need to get your focus back in the game quickly. So one of the things that uh, practice of mindfulness will do for you is really improve your resilience. So your, your ability to bounce back from things, um, you'll be able to shrug that off much more quickly. So, you know, uh, you got to practice this regularly over time to get to this point. But let's say you're out of the water for like a, a 30 second or 60 second break. Mm-hmm. We'll do a micro hit of there's a technique called feel rest, which really slows down, will slow down your heart rate a bit and, and calm you down and take your mind. It certainly takes your mind off of the the worry and uh, um, judging yourself that's been going on there and lets that go and gets you into a much more focused uh, what's happening right now place to get back in the water and do your job. So that's, that's applicable to any sport uh, certainly where you have to get back in. I know, you know, um, uh, uh, was it Bianca Andreescu? The, yeah. Um, Canadian tennis player. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, she uses mindfulness. It's been written up. I'm sure a lot of pro pro athletes use mindfulness. Some big sports teams. I know I coach that it certainly works with the Toronto Marlies, but uh, I know the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, some of the big teams in the states are all using mindfulness because it's a really great way to improve your performance levels and stay stay present, stay in the game. Don't let your mind go to places that are not going to be helpful for you to to be successful in that game. So obviously transferable to the office then. Well, hugely transferable to the office. So resilience. So like how many times have you heard like yeah. change management over your career? <laughs> like, you know, and everybody talks about change management and there's this technique for change management. It's like, oh, well, okay, let's like, can we just, can we deal with change and just like do it? So like a mindfulness practice will really improve your resilience. So your ability to 
to bounce back from any change. Mm. Your ability to deal with like overwhelm that's happening from this pandemic and all of it, all the things that come out of the pandemic, like where you work, how you work, how your team relates, yada, yada, yada. Um, so your ability to calmly approach that and assess it without getting lost in worry and stress um, is huge. So lots of change is happening in off the office place today. And so your resilience to be able to deal with that change and get back in there quickly. It's like, okay, um, I've got the change. I'm going to, I'm going to deal. I'm going to notice what's happening, but I'm going to deal with it and, and get back into it positively and move forward in a positive way for myself. Um, and, you know, in a team situation, like for project managers, I've actually done some e-learning modules. It's on projectbytes.com. They've got these 20 minute e-learning modules for project team members and project managers. So it's like an e-learning website. And, uh, I was teaching mindfulness for people on projects. So like you have to deal with changes all the time on a project. Like, you know, your sponsor calls you yet again with another change. And you just (laughs) want to like shoot yourself, right? Well, don't shoot yourself. Take, you know, do a little micro hit of mindfulness and feel good about get back in the game. And it's like, whatever, you just got to keep moving on. Right. And, and from a relationship perspective, how you deal with team members, how you deal with people in your in your unit at work, you know, and how yeah. you lead them, um, it really improves your relationships. You become a much better listener. You're, you build compassion. Um, your reactivity decreases, right? So people, you're much more approachable. Um, and it's, you just create a much more positive uh, environment um, to allow, like, people to be people, be creative, and get some good work done, right? We're so tied down in how we react to things and how we yeah. shut down communication yeah. and how we don't show compassion for people because it's in a business setting that's considered weakness right. in so many places. And that's just like horrific that uh, that sentence, we, we I are, could propose that sentence. Like, we're, we're it's just such a bad thing. Yeah. We're sometimes more focused on the on on the idea that we could have done better, that we don't focus on just doing better, I, I Well, I we suspect, pay more you know, attention so, yeah. to the... the uh, technical aspects of a conveyor belt in a factory (laughs) setting than we do to the um, human aspects of the people on our teams who are forming that conveyor belt to help us get things done. Right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll oil those wheels on an actual conveyor belt, but like the people just put them in a corner (laughs) and make, make them do their work. And, you know, so, so staying on track with, with, with that, uh, Fred and, and with other benefits of mindfulness, I was, I was doing some reading uh, again, through a bit of a personal interest that, that there's been some research on, on mindfulness uh, based tinnitus uh, stress reduction. Now, tinnitus is, a, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's a condition that impacts over 260 million people. I was surprised to, to find that out globally. Um, but but really where I'm, where I'm heading with this is, and I think I know the answer, but I want to hear you say it, is, is, is mindfulness making inroads in the medical mm-hmm. industry. And, you know, first I was thinking as an alternative option, but maybe the right thing I want to ask you as a complementary option. Yeah, I think that's the right way to put it. It's a complementary option. So, and tinnitus is probably a good example. So, tinnitus is when you're you've got a constant uh, buzzing in your ear, yeah. right? And yeah, and there's noise. And different people who who have this, um, it'll sound different. It'll be at different levels. It'll sometimes be more intense or sometimes be less intense, etc. But so the thing that mindfulness helps with is something like tinnitus can make you a bit nuts, right? You because you it bugs you and then you start to really worry about it and the worry takes on a life of its own and then you become stressed out and you know, 
none of that is helpful. So what a, a mindfulness practice can do is kind of change your relationship with the tinnitus. So it doesn't cure tinnitus, but by changing the relationship, it will help you with some equanimity, that word you're going to use more now, to <laughs> let go of some of that worry and stress that, that you're causing yourself, the suffering yeah. that you're causing yourself because of that condition of tinnitus. It's not the tinnitus that's making you suffer like that. It's how you're reacting to it. So if you can change the way you react to it through a practice of mindfulness that will take your mind away from the worry of it and focus on something else that's happening right now, some other sensory experience, um, then that's that's helpful. And I think there, there have been articles where uh, people have found mindfulness helps them take their focus off of the negative aspects of tinnitus and uh, they're able to cope with it more easily. Yeah, I, you know, I was talking, and I'm, I'm going back, I was talking to a doctor about this uh, one time, and they said, um, not as graceful as, as what you're, uh, how you're putting it with mindfulness, but their feedback was, um, well, the, the, the patient has to find a way to uh, just forget about it. <laughs> and, and yeah. I, you know, how are they going to forget that they, can, they, that they have this bug? Well, they, they just have to get distracted. Um, so I, I think that, that your approach with the mindfulness is a more positive approach than, than just getting distracted by it. Um, but it's encouraging to hear that, that that's where it's making some inroads and that maybe folks out there who are dealing with something like that, um, you know, have an option to, to explore that. Well, yeah, anything like any chronic pain situation or things that are ongoing, right? You can, they can be, take on a life of their own if you let them. Yeah. So the yeah, mindfulness absolutely. practice is a great way to um, uh, sort of turn your attention away from that pain and the, the worry about it into something else. So Fred, as a, as a mindfulness coach, if our listeners were to go to your website, and I love the name, mindthegap.ca, I love the, the whole notion of mind the gap. Um, if, but if they were going to, to go there, and it was, it's a really nice site, by the way. I, I, was, I was, you know, surfing around in it. It's so, so nicely put together. Um, but there's, you know, their contact form. Uh, if you click on the contact form, what, like, you've talked about the types of mindfulness, but what do you do? Like, what types of services do you offer? And, and um, you know, for those who work with you, like, do you do regular scheduled classes? Do you do one-off sessions? Um, what do you do? Like, how, what are the services that you provide through the site? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I teach mostly corporate programs. So I go into a workplace, recently it's been virtually, and provide programs that are tailored to what that workplace is looking for. Um, so let me give you an example. So I've been working, I've done a few courses up here for a local municipality. And uh, so taking them through a program of eight modules um, over, I think they do it over, uh, three or four weeks, and uh, to teach them enough about mindfulness to help them get started on their own practice. So if you come in and do one workshop, which, you know, I'm certainly not, I don't turn down the work if I'm asked to come in and do one workshop, but <laughs> yeah. if somebody asked me to come in and do a program that's longer than that, um, the really great benefit there is that people get to build up a head of steam and start a practice of their own, because that's really where they're going to see results, and that's mm -hmm. where organizations are going to see Results Like there's research out there that shows programs that are, you know, six to eight weeks long, like one hour a week, um, that actually show results from a stress reduction perspective, an increased productivity perspective. Um, organizations have seen uh, less um, health costs, less absenteeism, 
less presenteeism where people who really shouldn't be at work come into work anyways. Mm. Um, all that kind of very healthy stuff. So you see that from a program. So I do those programs. Um, I also do speak at events. I just spoke at a, a, a national charity uh, anniversary earlier this week. So did a, it's interesting because I did a 15 minute session on mindfulness and was able to take them through a, a mindfulness technique. And I was followed up by a stand up comic. So, you know, it's kind of like anything can happen. And uh, I kind of looked at when I realized who was like what the program was. I thought, oh, this is interesting. But I made it work and I think it came off okay. So they seem to be pretty pleased with it. But, uh, but yeah, so I do. You know, here I'm sounding like I'll, I'll do anything. I'll cut your grass if you want to. But, um, <laughs> but you'll do it. But you'll do it mindful. You'll do it mindfully. Right. I got it. No, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's corporate. Mostly my stuff is corporate. I don't do um, set up my own courses, like open courses where people can register. Right. Because um, I am semi-retired, and I do like to be out on my bike and out hiking. So I find that I'm. Like I'm getting, uh, I'm busy enough with the corporate work. And uh, so, so for, you know, for I'm being the, caref- careful about how much I take on. Fair enough. And for the corporate stuff, like, it sounds like you will, there's some level of customization. Like you kind of look at, you, you'll mm-hmm. look at the situation and work with them and, and, and customize to where, what the program that, that you're going to do with them. Is that? Is yeah. That, yeah. So there's a, a company I'm doing a, a two hour workshop um, for in the fall and it's with their leadership team. And so its focus is on uh, mindfulness and leadership, but it will give that team enough understanding of how this works and how it applies to leaders and what a difference it can make in their, in their role and how they proceed through that role. And um, then they'll likely take it into a larger program for the rest of their staff. So those kind of things too um, are what I'm busy with. Awesome. So corporate world, there you have it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> get, get mindful with Fred. Now, Fred, you've, you've, uh, you've said that you're going to do a little, um, a few minute session with us here where I'm going to be quiet and you're going to lead the listeners and, and they could, they could do a session of mindfulness with you. Are you still up for that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. yeah. So before yeah. we, before we do that, I do want to thank you uh, for doing this. This is really informative and fun. Um, uh, is there anything you'd want to, before you do that session, is there anything you want to leave the audience with in terms of any other comments or, 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 or ideas or suggestions or anything like that? You know, just, I guess, uh, well, one thing, a lot of people don't think that they can do this because it's too difficult. So it's not, it's really not difficult. A lot of people think they can't clear their mind because their minds are really busy. There's always stuff going on in their minds. They can't clear their mind to do mindfulness. Well, you don't have to clear your mind to do mindfulness. Actually, you can concentrate on some stuff in your mind mm. to help you do the technique. So, like, if you think if that's what's keeping you away from mindfulness, like, just try it out because it's not that's not an issue. Um, and then also, people finding the time. And I mentioned before, you just you could do thirty seconds, right, of a micro hit, so it's all good. But yeah, I, I would just say those things. Try it out. Don't let uh, your busy mind stop you from trying it. And uh, it's really easy to do next time you're at the grocery store do 30 seconds of what I'm just going to show you as we go through this uh, little thing. And what I'll do, Guido, is uh, this technique is called feel rest. So this is a, a great technique. Um, like this is what I would have coached that water polo team for the, the folks coming out of the water. And they just have a short time to recover. And to, if you can focus on feel rest, that's a great uh, recovery one. Um, to get your and to get your head back in the game and also if just before you're going to have a difficult conversation at work if you know that's coming up or if you're going to start a meeting at work 
um, or you're going to start to do a new project at work, do a little bit of feel rest to get your focus in place and calm yourself and really center yourself um, to proceed really positively with the work you're going to do. Awesome. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to be, I'm going to be quiet and probably participate on this end and I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll meet you on the other side, Fred. So hey, cool. uh, go for it. And it, for those listening, this is your chance. Like you're, you're here. Try it out. Try it out. Here we go. Yeah. Let's give this a shot. Okay. So we're going to do this uh, technique called feel rest. And like I said, it's a, well, it's a restful technique. <laughs> you can't figure that one out from the title and uh, it's going to help you relax. So, now, but you've got to remember the object is not to fall asleep unless that's what you're trying to do. This is also not a bad one to do as you're lying in bed and you can't sleep. I kind of use it sometimes in the night when I wake up. So for now, though, you're probably all sitting in a chair. So just sit with your, your back in an upright position as much as you can. Don't, don't put yourself in a position where it hurts, but you want to invite your back to lengthen towards the ceiling. It's a, kind of a nice way to think about it. And invite your shoulders to relax and your facial muscles to relax. You can have your eyes closed for this. probably the easiest way to do it. You can keep them open if you want, but let's say turn and close them. And I'm going to take you through a little body scan. And what we're going to do is focus on restful feelings in our body as we go through this scan. And like any of these that we try out, you can use later on your own. Um, we're going to go through by clenching and relaxing muscles. And uh, it's easy to do this on your own. And then also another thing that you can use so we're using sensory experience as our object of focus. So when you, our muscles are relaxing, we're going to feel that. You can also feel your exhale. If you want to focus on that, that's a great one to use for, for this technique. So let's, let's give it a shot. And how you do this is I'll ask you to clench a certain muscle, and then you'll release it, and I'll get you to focus on that feeling, that relaxing feeling, for a few moments. Really concentrate on it. We're going to actually say the word in our minds. We're going to say the word rest when that happens. That's a label, and then let go and repeat. So just follow along. It's easy to do. I'll help you through it. So let's start with our feet and crunch, scrunch your feet muscles all together, tight, 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 like you're in really tight shoes. Maybe they're four sizes too small for you. Squeeze your feet tight. Squeeze them tight, 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 and then let them go. And oh, what does that feel like in your feet? That really amazing, relaxing feeling. Concentrate on that feeling. Say the word rest to yourself. Hold your concentration for a few moments on that feeling. Let it go. And then we're going to repeat the technique, but we're going to move up our legs to our calf muscles. Squeeze your calf muscles tight, tight, tight. Squeeze them tight. Your calves and shins. Hold them tight, tight, and then let them go. And Really concentrate on that relaxing feeling by letting those muscles go. And you say the label rest. Hold your concentration for a few moments, maybe three seconds. Let it go. And then we're going to repeat the technique. We're going to use a different muscle. So let's move up to our, our pelvic muscles, our buttocks, our thighs, and squeeze all that together. Squeeze everything tight, tight, tight. Hold it tight. Tight, tight, and then let it go. Wow, that's a lot of muscles. And it really feels relaxing, very restful. Say the label rest to yourself. Concentrate, hold your concentration for a few seconds. Let that go. Then we're going to repeat the technique, but we're going to move up to 
into our tummies. Squeeze your tummies, your lower backs together. Tight, tight, tight. Hold your gut in. Hold it tight, tight, tight. And then let it go. Just let it all go. Concentrate on the relaxing feeling. Pour your concentration into it. Say the label, rest. Hold that concentration for a few moments. Let it go and repeat the technique. And we're going to move up to our chest and our shoulders and our upper arms. Squeeze them all tight together. Tight, tight. Hold those muscles together. Tight, tight, tight. And then let them go. Pour your concentration into what that feels like, that restful feeling. Say the label, rest to yourself. Hold your concentration for a few moments. Let that go and repeat. Now let's squeeze our hands together, our forearms, squeeze them tight, tight, tight. Make tight fists. Hold them really tight, 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 and let them go. And concentrate on that restful feeling. So you're building your concentration muscles, your sensory clarity by sensing that sensory experience in your hands. And your equanimity, if anything else comes up in your mind, let go, it doesn't matter. Just focus on what you're sensing. And then let's just move up to our face and squeeze all our facial muscles together. Nobody's looking at you. Don't care. Don't worry about what you look like. Just squeeze everything tight. Tight, tight, your jaw, your cheeks, your neck. And then let it go and really focus on that sensory experience of relaxing muscles in your face and neck. Concentrate for a few moments. Say the label, rest yourself. And repeat the technique. And this time we're going to concentrate on our exhale. So as you breathe out, that's a very restful sensation. On your exhale, concentrate on that. Say the label, rest. Focus on that till you're finished exhaling. Let it go and repeat. And if any thoughts come up about your grocery list, about what you're going to do tomorrow, that thing you said to Susie Brown in grade three that still bugs you, let it go. It doesn't matter. Just concentrate on what's happening right now. Have equanimity with everything else. You're just feeling rest. If you're hearing anything in your environment or seeing anything, keep it in the background. Let it go. Focus on that restful feeling in your body. Feel rest. And you keep that going. We've just done a couple of minutes of feel rest. So we just did a micro hit, basically, of feel rest. So we should all feel somewhat rested. Come on back into your room. You can open your eyes. And there you go. That's a little taste of a mindfulness practice called Feel Rest. It's a good one. You can do it anywhere, and you can mix all those sensory experiences up. You can keep repeating the same one if you like one. And uh, you don't have to clench your muscles if you can remember what it feels like to just feel that restful feeling. That works, too. And there you go. What a fantastic session, Fred. Thank you. That's super. Uh, that was so awesome. Listen, thank you. Thank you for doing that extra um, exercise with us. And hopefully some folks are trying it out and, and find some benefit from it. Um, thank you for doing this session with us and informing us about mindfulness, um, how we can better connect with ourselves and, and others as well. Um, thank you for your time uh, and all of those insights. Um, if you want to, if you want to check Fred's website out, mindthegap.ca, 
Um, it's a great springboard, I think, for um, your mindfulness uh, venture. Um, and I think it'll give you more than a micro hit. And for sure, you will feel good. Thank you, Fred Pitt. Hey, my pleasure, Guido. Great to chat with you. Take care, Fred. All right. Now, before we get to our next segment, a quick word from one of our business friends of the podcast. Hi, I'm Richard Chase, introducing Chaser's Fresh Juice, a local business in Toronto. We've been in business for over 20 years, initially supporting our local Toronto area and now servicing all of Canada. Chaser's provides fresh organic juices, ingredients, including citrus zests, dehydrated garnishes, and fresh citrus peels to enhance any cocktail or recipe you can think of. We have successfully supplied restaurants, distilleries, craft breweries, and bakeries across the country. Reach out to orders at chasersjuice.com for any questions you may have. We are a customized fresh juice company, and I'm sure we can help you. Thank you. All right, let's get to some music. I've got a song here called Let Down by a band out of Barrie, Ontario called Latchkey. The song features band members Dave, Brandon, Zach, Chris, Riley, and features AJ Perdomo. Here is Let Down.
If you want to know more about the band, check them out at latchkeymusic.bandcamp.com or facebook forward slash latchkeyca. That is Dave, Brandon, Zach, Chris, Riley, and featuring AJ Perdomo with a great little tune called Let Down. Okay, we've come to the part of the show where I usually share with you a personal story or an article or essay that I've uh, published. Um, today's is called The Other Side of the Interview, Employers Need Help Too, and it's available for you to read as well at guidoprino.com under the blog section. Um, this uh, really focuses on um, five simple recommendations uh, on your path to hosting better interviews that will leave a positive impression on the candidate and you in a better position long term. They might also land you a resource that you actually need. Candidates can benefit from these recommendations too because it just might help them find their true self in an interview. And there certainly is a lot of opportunities out there um, given the uh, turn of the, the pandemic and organizations looking for help. So let's get to the article. The other side of the interview. Employers need help too. All too often, the interview process can be rushed, the questions not quite aligned to what's needed for the organization, the focus of the evaluation misguided by external events, policies, compromised emotional intelligence, unnecessary disruptions of perceived greater importance distracting the process end-to-end, and a possible desire for perceived perfection of a candidate that challenges the journey and the results. See, it's not always the candidate's fault that maybe the employer can't find what they're seemingly looking for if the employer isn't either clear on what they're looking for or the decision is being impacted by elements that aren't relevant to the need for their selection. Yes, there are many, whoa, considerations in that theory that those too proud in the way things have always been done will want to conveniently dismiss. If you're one of those employers, these recommendations probably won't work for you because you'll read them from a glass-half-empty perspective looking for ways not to do them. Still, you'll probably read or listen on because you just don't want to miss out. Either way, if there is a capacity to at a minimum consider the possibility that the interview experience could be mutually beneficial, then please, Indulge yourself and find ways to make the recommendations better or even customized to your organization or hiring situation. These are five simple recommendations on your path to hosting better interviews that will leave a positive impression on the candidate and you in a better position long term. They might also land you a resource that you actually need. Candidates can benefit from these recommendations too because it just might help them find their true self in an interview. So where do you start? Have some fun. 
There's going to be plenty of time for the successful candidate to face adversity without punishing them during the interview. Having an open conversation like you would as if they already worked with you. Imagine if you talk to your staff every day in the same manner that you interview them, sitting across from one another, the same one always asking, the other answering, and never deviating from a script that only you have, while the candidate waits for the next dart to be thrown, hurdle to jump, or hole to avoid falling into. Dip into that part of their resume where they have perhaps and hesitantly through years of conditioning to limit the content due to some theory that what they do outside their core skills is less important, shared some hobby or volunteer interest and get them talking about something they enjoy aside from their work duties. Everyone will start to relax a bit and there's a good possibility that the topic ends up naturally blending into a facet of the interview that will yield more insight than the more structured and standard questions. For example, If the candidate says they play an instrument, explore that and let them shine right off the start. It will increase their confidence, get them into talking fluidly about something they may be passionate about, and the door to trust has been nudged open. The best interview experience I have ever had was one when I didn't even know I was being interviewed. It was set up to be a lunch before the interview. At the end of the lunch, the hiring manager offered me the position, and to my youthful shock, I said, Aren't you supposed to have the interview at 1.30? He looked and smiled at me and said, You just had it. During that lunch, we talked about what was going on in my life and things I enjoyed doing, as well as what my career plans were, and it flowed so well, I didn't even realize I was answering questions indirectly. I learned as much about him as he did about me, and we laughed and had fun doing it. That manager ended up being the best manager I've ever had, and we thrived working together. If you're going for a more conventional interview, though, there's four more things for you to consider. Set the candidate up for success. There are two parts to this that first focuses on pre-interview arrangements and then on your integrity as an interviewer. Part one, if you've got questions that are deeper than what's your favorite color or tell me your greatest weakness, give them to the candidate well ahead of time so they can prepare. Yes, give the candidate the questions anywhere from one hour up to 24 hours before the interview. If there's a presentation involved, give them three to five days. In doing so, you will remove the shock of any of the questions and the candidate will be able to focus on their skill, talent, and stories. Interview purists may want to point out that this would allow the candidate to find the answers on the internet or ask a friend. And that may be true. What is also true is that neither the internet nor the friend will be there to deliver the answer. And if you're as good of an interviewer as you think you are, it won't take you long to evaluate if you're getting a Wikipedia answer or if the candidate is giving you a relatable experience. In being able to see how the candidate functions at their best, you'll get a head start on assessing where they fit into your needs. You'll also get insights into their preparedness skills. Part 2. Build an interview pool of candidates that you're willing to consider hiring. While from candidate to candidate, they may not be aware that you're interviewing nine other candidates for one position, your engagement, enthusiasm, body language, and other signs will emerge throughout the interview process, possibly impacting the performance of the candidates, especially if you're quota filling. Interviewing without intent 
does a disservice to everyone involved and will impact other parts of the process and recommendations. Besides, if you need to interview more people just to fill a quota, you've got bigger systemic problems in your organization that need to be addressed and dragging candidates through a process that isn't going to yield them a true opportunity is just shady and compromises your integrity. You can avoid shady through authenticity, so let's talk about that. Seek authenticity. Several online articles provide candidates an extensive list of possible interview questions that a potential employer might ask. Usually a standard set of questions that come across very transactional and never really yield the true nature of the candidate's personality or capabilities. Things like, what made you apply for this position? Why do you want to work here? Or what is your greatest strength? Yawn. What meaningful answers do you think will emerge? As an employer, you're going to get answers that are as standard and stale as the questions themselves. If you've ever watched the movie Shawshank Redemption, there is a scene where Morgan Freeman, who plays a character called Red, is repeatedly asked at parole hearings from year to year if he feels that he's been rehabilitated. And every year, he gives the same canned answer of what he thinks they want to hear. Until towards the end, when he is really old, and perhaps more wise... And he replies with something more meaningful and insightful that intrigues the listener through authenticity, resulting in achieved freedom. As an employer, if you want to live interview Groundhog Day, then don't change a thing. Ask the canned question, write down the canned answer. Otherwise, if you want to get to Red's final freedom that has meaning and substance, ask the right question in a way that invites an authentic answer and lets the candidate reach into their true self. To do that, you must ask questions in an environment and manner that communicates bidirectional trust, which most employers will find difficult to do in a short period of time. To extract true self, you must find your own true self. Celebrate authenticity. Once you've found authenticity, don't look for ways to normalize it. Instead, embrace it. If you have a candidate who is being transparent and giving you more than your standard answers by letting you into their past and present life experiences at work and home, acknowledge it without trying to change it. Have you ever seen one of those workplaces where the team members are generally happy, will work a bit longer when needed without a quip, and maybe answer the phone when they're not at work? Chances are their employer knows more about them than their greatest weakness and they can have an open conversation about deliverables, communication, strategic and tactical decisions, and more. That is in large part because they've recognized the authenticity of their team member and celebrated it by reciprocating it organically. So, during an interview, if you see authenticity, grab onto it. Don't let go because you've got something special right in front of you. I was recently on a social media site where an employer was asking other employers about their experience with getting staff to answer the phones to ask if they could come into work while they're off. You want that phone answered? Celebrate authenticity by reciprocating authenticity and start doing that right in the interview to establish a solid foundation. The post-interview activity is also just as important as everything leading up to it. Interviews can be like a house of cards, fun, exciting, and beautiful while you're building it, but easy to come crashing down, and a bad post-interview experience can do just that. So how do you ensure the right closure takes place? Follow up right. There are three parts to following up right that focus on contact, timing, and relationship building. Part 1. Whether you're hiring the candidate or not, 
Call them to deliver the news. Don't text them. Don't email them. Don't splurge on a stamp and send them a letter because all those things say two things about you and your organization. One, you're not authentic. And two, you're not a leader. Pick up the phone and have an authentic conversation with them where you talk about the good things they did and the future opportunities to improve. And be sure that those improvement opportunities are legitimate, not some made-up generalized statements that challenge your credibility and authenticity. If you don't have time to do it on the initial call, offer another time when you can give back to the candidate the same time, effort, and respect they gave you in applying for the position. Part 2. Call the candidate within a reasonable amount of time from the conclusion of the interview, generally within two weeks. Anything after that, regardless of whatever self-justified reasons you may have, communicates that they're not as important as whatever else you're doing. Part 3. Stay in touch with the unsuccessful candidates. If the candidate showed interest and did well, but just wasn't there yet, invest in your new relationship. Think about the fact that you probably spent several weeks poring over resumes, setting up calls, interviewing, scoring, and then here you are at the post-interview chat and you're going to toss all of that away when you hang up the phone or, of course, if you've chosen to hide behind an email. No, Instead, offer to stay in touch with them and then maintain the relationship because even if you never work together in your current role, there may be mutual future growth opportunities for both of you. These are five recommendations. They're formed in synopsis, founded on real experiences over the course of a 25-plus year career. Understandably, some of them may not be achievable because your organization has certain interview structures and policies that prevent this level of logic engagement, and so you may have to either be creative or look at constructive ways to influence a more positive outcome. As a candidate, it's okay to look for these types of relationship builders and use them to assess whether you want to actually work for an organization that isn't capable of achieving them because the gaps from not being able to do these simple things will eventually creep into your conversations, your work, and your career. It also provides a good foundation for true self-constructs that you may want to look for in an organization and the hiring individuals. If you came here for the standard interview advice, well, I promised you that you weren't going to get that, and I kept my promise. I gave you my authenticity. This is an opinion article by me, Guido Prime. You can read the article at guidoprimo.com under the blog section. I'd like to welcome to the podcast Kimberly Clement. Kimberly joins us today to talk about a special gift that she has, a talent, if you will. She's going to talk to us about reading cards, as in tarot cards, and maybe even do a sample reading for us while exploring and helping us better understand the spirit world. Kimberly also hosts a Facebook page called Graceful Guidance that you're welcome to check out, and we will learn more about that on the show today. So thank you for joining us today on the Going With Guido podcast, Kimberly. How are you doing? Hi, Guido. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm very excited to be here and I'm looking forward to uh, talking a little bit about some of the messages that I've received. Oh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what some of those messages are. I'm, I've got high curiosity, of course. <laughs> um, so let, can we start off, maybe tell us a little bit about what it means when when we hear references like the spirit world. Are we talking good spirits or, or bad spirits? Or look, are we talking things like you see in Hollywood movies? Is this is this the real deal, though? Okay, that's a loaded question. 
So let's break it down a bit, if we will. So I am more about energies, frequencies, um, and instead of labeling it good and bad, I usually uh, term them as light and shadow um, or light and root. So if I, if I do it kind of old school, so there's people, there's different types of spiritualists that use different tools and gifts. So to clarify, my gifts are clairescent, clairaudient, clairempathic, clairobvious. What that all means is this. I can third eye or I can see things visually. I dream about things and have conversations sometimes with people that have passed. I also do energy uh, work, meaning I will be able to talk to somebody if they have anxiety. I feel their feelings. Um, I can also receive kind of messages through music and lyrics. And uh, I use tools like I do tarot cards. That is true. But I also use many other tools. Other tools that I do use is I use like playing dice. I get angel numbers through that. And I also use um, oracle cards, which are just visuals. They're just images, and I get information from that. I use astrology. I use numerology. I also use certain, if I'm called to certain books, and I just kind of open to the page and it will tie into the messages that I get. So you you don't just have tools. You have multiple toolboxes, it seems, when it comes to this stuff. You, you've, you've named things that I have no idea what they are. Um, <laughs> like, uh, what, you said something about a third eye. What's, what's a third eye? Uh, the third eye, or chakras, uh, the third eye is in the middle. And sometimes that is people that can see visions, premonitions, uh-huh. your intuition, a lot of us, or most of us, have intuition. Uh, some people have a greater depth to it. And does does the third eye? You mentioned you're in your you you interpret dreams, or you 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 speak to people who have passed in your dreams. Is that does the third eye play into that too? I would say yes. I would say hmm. that it does it. It, it, it would mean like my intuition is open enough or my ability uh, is that that when I dream, there are times where people who have passed will enter, say, my dream to extend messages. And then when I come to an awake state, uh, there are times where I'll write in a journal, a dream journal, what was said and et cetera. And it's proven to be confirmed information. Can I give an example? Yeah. But first, uh, let's take a quick break. And we're going to hear from one of our friends of the podcast. Recipes at My Table is a work of family, love of food, and sharing of stories. The stories keep the memories alive and make every day a party in my kitchen. 
Join me for the sharing of traditional Italian recipes and so much more. Visit me at www.recipesatmytable.com. Okay, we are back with Kimberly, who's about to tell us how a spiritual event in a dream transcended into a real-life event. Go ahead, Kim. So an example was my grandmother. Uh, she had passed away. And uh, after she passed, she came into my dream, and she was giving me directions on this crucifix necklace where to find it, and it was in a very random spot. It was in a hamper that contained all of her special Italian linens, and she told me exactly where to find it, and I woke up, and I told my mother, we went to her apartment, because this is when she just had passed, so her apartment was still full of her items. Right. I went to the said place, and found the said item. My mother was very shocked because she believed she had lost it when she was like a child. And this was all communicated to you from your grandma in your in your dream. Dream, yes, because she had passed. It's uh, that's that's interesting. So when did you knowing this, like this event happened, and and it, I'm gonna imagine that other events happened. When did you realize that that or come to some realization that, hey, you know what? I've got this this special gift going on. I will say I was aware I was different as a child. My comprehension of me possessing gifts and not just being a little, you know, Lulu um, <laughs> was later in life. I started realizing, you know, I um, was telepathic with people that I connect with. Mm -hmm. uh, just certain conversations, feelings, people's thoughts. I would just randomly answer questions that they didn't say out loud. Interesting. And were you, were you did you share this with anybody that, that this I is? will be honest, no. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, I'm thinking some of your listeners are going, she's weird. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I knew that. And so to be accepted, right, I didn't really speak upon my gifts for a very long time. Uh, there'd be glimmers of things like, you know, in my teenage years, I'd be interested in palmistry and, um, you know, card reading then. Uh and my mom would say, well, you know, your nonna, she did this with herbs. And you know, your great granny, she read cards, tea leaves, this and that. Right. So she would give little information. But my mother noticed in particular my gifts. And she tried to shelter me by being, you know what, let's not share this <laughs> with everyone. So I, you know, but obviously she, now, now you're comfortable, you're comfortable with, with your craft. If we, if we call it a craft yeah, in, in some respects. I think so. Um, so let me ask, bringing this back a little bit, if, if someone uh, is inclined to believe and, and listen, there may be those who do and those who don't, um, oh, of course. when we're talking about spirits, do, do you know, do spirits send signs to like, obviously you have received them, but do they send signs to just anyone? And, you know, in the beginning I said, well, you know, are they good or are they bad? 
Um, if someone receives these signs or tries to figure out that, hey, they, I'm, I might be receiving these signs, how do they know that they're light or shadow or what did you say, light or root, I think were some of the terms that you used. Um, you know, and do they need to worry? Like, you know, I, I said Hollywood movies earlier. Like, do they get invaded? Do they do they get possessed? Or like, can, can you share or have any uh, insights on that sort of stuff? Uh, yes. And now that could be a whole nother podcast. Quite oh, honestly. wonderful. <laughs> yes, that really could be. And I would look forward to having that. that oh, really? That, okay. That frame. Yes. But let's, let's really bottom line it for this podcast. And I'll just say this. How you'll know an energy is light or shadow is how you would feel. Uh, if you're feeling nervous around somebody or you think they're shady AF, right? Uh -huh. That is energy. It, there's a reason why you're feeling that way. Listen to your intuition. On the opposite, if you feel very inviting and loved and comfortable and you want to share your story, that's a great energy that is being projected from another. And you would feel that. And so that's like an empathetic kind mm. of vibe, right? Regarding signs, yes, yes, yes. But you need to be open to them. Some common signs are feathers, coins, sometimes dimes in particular for some reason. Uh, birds, if you see birds come to you quite a bit, in particular after a loved one has passed. Sometimes you will get smells. Like I know when my father-in-law had passed away, there was days I smelt his cologne just randomly in the air mm. and I would hear his laughter. Um, so if you are open to receiving, the messages would come to you. Sometimes you could simply ask your ancestors or that particular person that you would like to receive a sign. If it's from a pure intent, you could just verbally ask. So let me ask you, let me ask you something here. You, you're touching on a, a couple of things and uh, I'm going to get a little bit personal here. You mentioned, mm -hmm. you mentioned a whole bunch of things here, feathers, coins, the smells, dimes. Um, not that long ago, usually when I go visit my, my grandparents and, and other relatives at the, uh, at the graveyard, I go mm -hmm. and I'll clean, I'll clean up the graves, I'll plant flowers. I do a whole bunch of maintenance stuff, right? And just to pretty it up and, and whatnot. Um, Something odd happened the last time I did that. I'm, I'm not making this up either because I had other family members with me and they were like, hey, what, what's that? At both uh, sites that I was cleaning up, I found a dime. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, where did this dime come? Why is there a dime here? Where did And so I found one at my uncle's grave site and then I found one at my grandparents' site. At, that same day, a dime at each site. How, what would you, what do you interpret that as? How did, and I'm thinking, where did the dime come from? And why is there a dime well, in each of these places? Listen, let's be honest here, right? If you're a very logical person, I think you might tune out of this podcast, right? Because it just might <laughs> blow your mind and you might be like, listen, you are foolery. I don't believe anything you say, right? And, and with grace, you say, I, I wish you well, right? If you are open to thinking beyond the logic you i know for a fact for myself for myself i get feathers and random feathers in in parts of my like apartment 
where did I get them? I, some of them, when I go for a walk, yes, of course, you know, there's feathers where there's birds, right? That's logical. But there are places that I found birds, I mean, feathers rather, <laughs> that should yeah. not have been there. Right. Dimes as well. Uh, a lovely person I worked with, a lovely person, uh, she would tell us, if I ever pass, like my husband did, he always sent me dimes. So she always called us baby girls. Baby girl, I'm going to send you dimes. Well, we did not know, she did not know, that she was going to soon pass. See? Oh, I got shivers <laughs> on both my So this is confirmation. Uh, random dimes by our register in weird places. Like there was no till or random places. There would just be dimes. And many of us would say that we had dimes in random places. And we were like, that's Miss Patty. Uh, because she was a character. Hmm. So again, it's one it, spirituality. It's like anything. If you choose not to believe, no matter what evidence someone throws, so what's, you, what's, you're going to observe that as evidence, and vice versa, right? Some people don't need evidence. It's what they feel. It's what you know. That's enough for them. Is there? I just invite anybody to just maybe shift your perspective slightly and see if you do see something that maybe you didn't choose to see earlier. Is there significance to the dime? You know what? Uh, I know like if you break down numerology, one plus zero mm -hmm. equals one, and that usually means a new beginning. So sometimes mm -hmm. a dime means, hey, girl, I got over here. It's good. Interesting. <laughs> it's because it's their new beginning. Now, should I, like, I, I left the dimes there. Should I have taken them? Like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I, I actually think you did right leaving the dime. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Good. Uh, I don't always pick them up uh, because usually they're found just randomly, like, through my apartment and stuff. I'll see dimes and stuff this randomly, and I didn't fling them anywhere. No, like, I, but, when I was doing this, like, I was I was actually, I'm, I was digging up the dirt to plant a new flower in each in each site. And as I'm digging the dirt, this dime comes up in each different... I'm not... Like, people may, might be listening to this thinking, he's making this up. And I'm not making it up. There were really dimes there. And I had some family members with me. And I, I said to them, check this out. There's a, there's a dime here. What's, the, what's with the dime? So, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to park the... I'm going to park the money for a second. Um, you... So, we've been talking about the spirit world and spirituality and, and some symbols and, and, and things like that. Now, you told us about... Um, uh, some signs that you received through a dream um, and, and some of these signs with, you know, feathers. Um, is there, are there other things or, or once you experience whatever sign you experience, uh, you'd always experience the same signs or would you be inclined to experience other ones as well? That is a very good question. I think it depends what, like I verbally ask for different signs from different people huh. and I receive those signs from those people. So for example, my cousin who I adored uh, passed away at a young age and I had asked her, can you please send me, uh, for her it was dimes as well. Um, and then for my papa, I asked for uh, white feathers because white feathers are not as easy to find as gray and brown. Right. White are a little bit special. So I, ran I randomly 
fine white feathers in random places, like not in a park with a bunch of birds. <laughs> I found pretty... them like in my in my sock drawer. I found mm. one in my purse. I I find them like yeah. When I moved boxes from my house to my new space. Hmm. So yeah. So so you've got these signs going on, and you you mentioned at the beginning when we first started talking about tarot cards, or I said cards, whatever, whichever is the right uh, thing. I'm sure you're going to correct me. Um, how does like the cards correlate to this or or um you know how do you how do you work tarot cards and card reading into this okay so i think what i want to just maybe add some clarity is people that are spiritual gifts don't really fo uh, follow like a template to extend their messages so for example I do use tarot cards, but I'll be honest, I don't use them as my sole message tool. Hmm. I use them more as a confirmer, a confirmation. I usually just message and I use, like I said, I use dice. I use, I just get numbers in my head sometimes and I think that they're dates or they're important, so I'll say it. I throw charms. And that their symbolism was charms. I then supplement it with research. So then based on my reading, I'll then give a journal prompt for you to ponder on. Right. Or crystals or essential oils that you may want to help. I, I add different things. So my flow is going to be completely different, say, from somebody that does, they use different tools or they only use tarot or what have you. Everybody has different strengths and gifts. So mine is a cornucopia, really. I, I, I do use tarot cards. And the tarot system is they have major arcanas. Like they have the suits like playing cards like jacks, knights, and kings, queens, joker. And then they have like different uh, names for major uh, characters. Again, I could do a whole podcast on right. that. You're, Kim, you're, um, you're touching a little bit on all the different parts of the card. So, um, what exactly is card reading then? Like, what what are you? What's what's happening so, when you when you use these cards and you're reading them? So, when you you shuffle and cards come out, what it can tell you is this: it can be based on astrology signs, astrological signs. It could be based on numerology. It could be based on color uh therapy and what symbolisms i'm certain colors it can talk about uh based on the particular card for example i'm just gonna pick a card um don't I'm don't pick listen don't pick the card of death eh like i i'm oh right? no death actually okay no no don't <laughs> don't do that <laughs> no no but i want to clarify that because that is a grave misconception oh really death does not mean an end of a physical death oh great death is actually <laughs> means an end of a life cycle and we live through many chapters of our book we call them life cycles okay the life cycle of myself okay okay so a death could be an ending of a relationship, an end of a job, an end of a cycle of thought patterns. Uh. And a death is great because it begins new. So 
Getting a death card should not be scary to anyone, really. Oh, so it's not a forecast of, of the person's no, death. Okay, all right. Nobody ethical <laughs> that does light work, and this is where the difference between light work and rude work, okay. but light work would ever determine somebody's end date on this earth. You okay. should not do that. Okay. Now, you can discuss if you if any illness comes up or anything like that, but... No ethical person should be telling somebody about a date of expiration. No. Okay, so I, listen, I interrupted you because I, I, I wanted to avoid the death card, but now we understand it's not a bad thing. You were gonna, not at you, all. You were going to do something. You were, you were saying, let me show you yes. something. So I'm going to pick a card. Yeah. Uh, the death one is actually pretty great. But okay, so for example, uh, the card that says zero means the fool which means a beginning, okay? Somebody, if I pulled that card in a general uh, reading, I would start with saying the fool is a beginning. It's fresh, it's innocent, it's not the most planned because it's, if you think of it as, say, a human, a fool would be like a teenager, right? Mm. Full of inspiration, full of I'm gonna go on adventures, but you may not be really all prepared due to lack of experience and tools. Hmm. So the journey begins as a fool. Someone who's ambitious, excited, wanting to try an adventure, but a little on the immature side. So that would be that card, like the fool. Cool. Now, are you using, when you do that, are you using a, a tarot card? If that's it's a, called a tarot? That's, yes, that okay. would be part of the tarot system, the now, fool. Do you have different cards because I I, mm. I I seem to think that you referenced that you you might use different cards or is there such a thing and, and if there is is there a is there a method like how do you determine what what cards you might use okay so yes I have many different decks okay it might be borderline an obsession a little bit I have many different decks so there's different tarot uh, systems or decks. There are different oracle decks, and oracle decks can have themes like from mermaids to goddesses to um, dragons to so many different things. Those are more visual aids, and they may have just one word on it. So then I'm using my intuition, and then messages will come through. They often come with books that may tell further details about it. I rarely look at the books because I do more intuitive mm. messages. But sometimes if it's a brand new deck and I've never seen it before and it's a different uh, system, yes, I'll do the research. And that's why I always want to be transparent. Just because we have spiritual gifts doesn't mean that we don't do research as well, right? Right. Because uh, I don't want any to give the impression, oh, yeah, I know all of the things of all the things just because I'm that great and talented. No, I do hours of research as well. How do you determine which deck you're going to use when you're, when you're doing this? They absolutely call me. Oh. Yeah. I have, I have like I said, numerous decks. Um, I intuitively know, okay, this is the person. I go to my cupboards and I just start taking the decks that call me. 
Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna volunteer. If if you were to read my cards, what yeah. would what would you pick today? What would you pick? And and could you do so a, could you, you do a couple of oh really? Okay, I was gonna I say could you do a couple of cards for me? I am very like I tell you I do research. So, okay, and I also like to give some acknowledgement to the that, uh, creators and stuff. Okay, so for yourself, I picked. Um, it's called the Enchanted Map Oracle. Uh, I also picked, uh, it's called Getting Into the Vortex. I picked something mm -hmm. that was about uh, their power cards. I picked an animal spirit deck. Oh, so you're going to tell me what, an, what my animal spirit is? Uh, what I pulled, yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Right on. Now we're going to learn something about me, I guess, with this stuff, eh? So I got to... What I, I did myself. was <laughs> I, I positioned it for you and the collective audience. So I believe the message will hit somebody other than just you. Okay. But we we shall see. All right, let's roll. So let's hear it. Okay. So I do a little bit of an intention of prayer. So I'm going to do that now before I begin. Okay. Okay. I call on my ancestors. Spirit guides, I call on Archangels Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel. I call on the collective ancestors who walked in light, their spirit guides. I call on Mother Mary, Mother Gaia, the divine source above all. I ask that this reading be protected from any energies that are not of light and love and healing. I also ask that any messages that are brought up are extended in an empathetic and ethical manner. Thank you. And I will begin. So the angel number that came to me was 754. The number comes to me telepathically, and I kind of get what I think it's going to be. But when I did research, angel 754 just means follow the intuitive messages and guidance that you've been receiving regarding making any important changes in your life and lifestyle choices. Hmm. The efforts that you are going to put forth to achieve your goals are manifesting new opportunities. So how are you going to know it is a good fit? Remember to just stay true to your inner self. That is how it's going to align. Okay. And you need to let go of any ideology, thought patterns that were within your comfort zone that you now have outgrown. Hmm. Because if you don't do that, you're going to get the same old opportunities. And if you have grown, it won't be a good fit. Got it. Interesting. And how you know you'll be, uh, you've grown is you're going to feel that anxious excited feeling that's when you know you are actually being ready and prepared for a new cycle so new opportunities places people experiences should be coming to you exciting okay. i'm in that's the right. angel number okay. so the first deck i used was the enchanted map oracle i did a past present and future spread so I picked for the past was a spirit of peace. Basically, this means 
is your greatest power, anyone's greatest power, is to simply be the most authentic version of you. Hmm. By doing that, you will attract like-vibed people, places, experiences, opportunities. It will be a natural synergy of give and take. You will not need to force a fit. The present, it was called dry desert. It means when you consistently put effort towards a goal, there truly needs to come to a time where you detach from the outcome and expectation and let the intention flow. By continuously forcing an outcome, you are stagnating the energy mm-hmm. and possible more better fit opportunities to come your way because you are being stagnant and stuck and not growing. The third one, was that is the future. So the future energy, the card that came up, was actually called Heal the Ouch. There's many layers to this particular card. So one is to observe what is making you feel unhealed. Sometimes the word is forgiveness. Forgiveness may be forgiveness at self for maybe not meeting expectations, firm goals that you have set in stone to allow yourself to breathe excel, embrace that a perceived failure set back Hmm. if the perspective is shifted even slightly, that it actually encourages growth because a lesson could be learned. So to, again, give yourself some breathing room, relax, don't be so type A, goal-oriented, going, I'm going, 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 point, point, done, done, done. I got to do, 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 do. Right. No. Now is the time to exhale. You've done the foundation. you got to let it sit for it to set in stone. That is that one. The other thing is, the other spectrum is a sidebar of forgiveness for others who didn't meet your expectation, who didn't grow along with you, who um, maybe hurt you in some way and you're holding on to it so it's stagnant energy and you're not moving forth because of another's perceived trespass against you. Or it could be not perceived, it could be actual. Either way, it is your power being your authentic self that would allow you the healing to forgive another and or yourself. Because you're both on journeys of healing, it just might be at different chapters. I went and got into the Vortex deck. I really like this deck because it's great for soul purpose, intention, career, that kind of uh, direction. So the card that I pulled was flawed premises can attract true unwanted evidence. What does that all mean? Well, 
If you keep telling you yourself your truth to be the truth, you and you say it enough, it does become the truth, even if there's alternate evidence stating otherwise, which means this. Shift what you tell yourself about yourself and or another and or external circumstance. The other thing, uh, the other card I pulled was my true success is measured by my alignment. Do you see a ongoing message so far? It's to be authentically you. That is how you will receive success. Now, success can mean what you accumulate in your bank account, the things. Right. Success can also be respect of your character from another, how people view you, how you view yourself, most importantly. The way you can gain the most success by your definition would be to be the most authentic version of yourself to yourself and to others. What I find interesting about, um, you keep using the word authentic, and um, I, if I can share with you, if it makes sense mm-hmm. to you, one of the um, comments I often receive is that um, either through the work that I, I do here or, or in other parts of my life that... Um, my authenticity is appreciated. That's been a very common theme in my life as uh, as of late, where uh, they, folks will say, hey, you know, you've, you're very authentic or what you spoke of was very authentic. So I'm, I'm smiling a little bit as you're, as you're um, going into some of this discussion about authenticity. So I, it's, it's kind of interesting. So thank you. And as a person that does know you personally, I completely, <laughs> completely agree with anyone that describes you that way. Thank You're you. really one of the most authentic people I know. <laughs> thank you. So. Thank you kindly. Thank you. You're welcome. So see, what's so nice is these cars came all through, right? Yeah. I didn't pick these out of the deck and go, oh, I'm going to say this. Right. This all authentically and organically, they flew out as well, huh. um, which means somebody really wanted these messages to come out. Maybe perhaps somebody in your audience is, doubting themselves because maybe they think outside the box or they want to do something out of the box. Maybe they're the family weirdo, right? Right. And and, uh, everybody else is really corporate and they just want to paint or they want to write or they want to be Cirque du Soleil, right? I hope by this message is to let you know when you are authentically you, you have succeeded by you being you, you've already succeeded. The power card that I picked, it was called, uh, it's called the Power Surrender Cards. It is Surrender to Miracles. Now, how do we surrender to receiving miracles? We get out of our own way. How do we get out of our own way? We just be the best version that we could be at this moment. We say goodbye to yesterday's version of us because it's past. Good, bad, or ugly cannot be changed. How we embrace the miracle, stay in the now, live according to your authentic truth, 
let go and be receptive. Okay. So the animal spirit that has been pulled for you and or the collective audience yeah. is the cardinal. So the cardinal equals uh, passion. Okay. So that's in many areas of your life. One can be you tell your story you with pride to attract your soul tribe. Again, being you, so you like people that are vibing the same as you. Career-wise, by being your authentic self, you will attract the role, the right fit for you by being you. From a love standpoint, cardinals are very loyal. When a male cardinal finds a female cardinal, he pampers her. He will go get the twigs and help do the nest for her and the babies. <laughs> he will actually sometimes get the food and feed her beak to beak. Isn't that cute? It's adorable. It's adorable. <laughs> it is, right? They're very monogamous. They sing special songs to each other. And I know you're an artist. You're a musician. I, I'm a, a music hobbyist. I, I don't want... When, there's... <laughs> I, when I saw this card, I'm like, this is he and she. Um, and basically, to live a life full of passion. Surround yourself around people, places, and participate in experiences that inspire you to do passionately and authentically. The next thing is charms. So I have like a bowl of different types of charms. And these are the ones that came out. The word forever. The word blessed. Two interlocking hearts. I got a charm of a fly, like a common fly. <laughs> and just a short little explanation about the spirit animal spirit guide of a fly is flexibility so that you may thrive. I also threw a charm for Sagittarius and Sagittarius is an astrological sign. The dates are between November 23rd and December 21st. So I don't know if that mm. is important to yourself or uh, somebody in your audience Maybe a loved one that is past is a Sagittarius. Maybe somebody you love is, or maybe that time frame is important. Mm -hmm. Numerology and numbers. I I um, I pulled seventeen, sixty seven, thirty two, eighty two. Dates: January seventh, July first, June seventh. July 6th, March 2nd, February 3rd, August 2nd, February 8th. Mm. I got those numbers wow. if people are asking. Um, those were mental. Those were telepathic. Okay. Those are the things that came out. So this has been this has been interesting. You've shared with us some uh, you know aspects of of an actual card reading and uh, to the benefit of the listeners it wasn't just about me but others in in the audience that um, that you felt uh, your message may have called to as well so if if you're listening and you've resonated with some of that um, a bonus for you as as listeners 
Um, Kim, now, listen, you did this for me and, and you've been, um, you know, sharing with us um, your gift. Is, like, do you offer this as a, uh, like, if someone else actually wanted it as a service, could you, do, do people reach out to you and say, hey, can you do this for me? Or is this sort of a one-off? Yes, I do offer personal services. I offer a variety of readings and and life uh, coaching. They can message me on Facebook, Graceful Guidance. And uh, I do do a limited amount due to the energy that takes. And often I will do like a video style chat okay reading and so the the connection point is through the facebook link i'll put that in the podcast notes called graceful guidance um and then just by messaging you you can sort of work out with folks what they're looking for and how that all would sort of uh, shake out when you when you get together and do that right yes Awesome. Uh, so look, this has all been very interesting. Um, you've taken us through sort of a spirit world, the card reading, not, and I'm saying card reading, but there was a whole other uh, entire world to, to that uh, interpretation. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with? I would like to thank you, of course, for inviting me on your show and allowing me to extend some of my spiritual gifts and my services. I would like to thank the audience for sticking around if you did. Thank you, Kimberly. There you have it, folks. Kimberly Clement sharing uh, of graceful guidance, uh, her skills and gifts with us. If you do want to get in touch with her, look for, look for Graceful Guidance on Facebook. I'll have the link in the podcast notes. Again, thank you so much for doing this, Kimberly. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Well, that was a fun session with uh, Kimberly Clement as we explored the world of spirits and tarot cards and readings, and that uh, you enjoyed that along with me as she did a reading for all of us. Now what I'd like to do is explore some new music, and we're going to go all the way out to British Columbia and hear from Carl Coritgo of Quantum Jukebox. Now, Carl is going to provide us with a song called No Love. But before we get to that, I thought I would ask him a couple of questions. So, Carl, what's the uh, story um, or perhaps inspiration or message that you have behind this song, No Love? Yeah, thanks for having me on your uh, show, uh, Guido. Really appreciate it. The song No Love was written to make the listener think about love in a deep way. The lyric in the song goes... If there is no love, there is no sorrow. If there is no love, there's no tomorrow. So that's meant to contrast the fact that we experience sorrow, which in turn teaches us and makes us appreciate love. Because if we didn't feel the pain of sorrow, we would not know what love truly is. It's a yin-yang thing, I think. Well, that uh, there's some certainly uh, some depth to, um, to your description of the song. And uh, I always uh, like getting the artist's uh, view on it and, and uh, where they sat um, when they were putting together the lyrics and, and the music. The, it certainly does have a very unique uh, vibe to it when you hear it um, that I enjoyed very much and I'm, I'm hoping you're going to enjoy as well. Um, so I was just wondering too, though, uh, can you tell us a little bit about where the song was recorded? Yeah, this song was recorded in my home studio and in Turtle Recording Studio. 
Drums and vocals were tracked at Turtle, and instruments were recorded in my home studio. Larry from Turtle also mixed and mastered No Love for us and did a great job. Songs uh, sometimes do take on, um, you know, the feel of of where they're being recorded. And uh, all I can say is that uh, your studios uh, must be pretty cool because the the song certainly did take on a a cool factor. Um, There's a lot going on in this song. Um, Who's playing on it? This track only had one other contributor on it, and that was Greg Delarante. He sang backup harmonies, and all the rest of the tracks were done by me. It was fun and challenging to see this arrangement come to life, and I think it turned out uh, the way I wanted it to, so I'm really happy about that, Guido. This is pretty amazing, folks. When you consider that uh, Carl uh, did the bulk of the work and you've got some help from Greg and and obviously some mixing uh, from Turtle Studios with Larry. So thank you to these three gentlemen. Let's get to the song. Hope you enjoy it. I know I do. Here is No Love. Chance, there is no death. All the fighting and 
What a great song with such an October feel to it, if you know what I mean. That's Carl Carrico. Uh, his website is quantumjukebox.com. I'll have the links in the podcast notes. Uh, much appreciative coming out uh, to us from British Columbia, Canada. Keep on rocking, and we hope to have you back on the show in the near future. So the next piece is a, a brief article that uh, talks about uh, misinformation, disinformation, and facts. And I thought it would be worthwhile uh, looking into this. Uh, at this time, based on all of the uh, content that's out there on the uh, internet and, and on social media these days. Is your opinion supporting misinformation or disinformation? We live in a data-rich world where it is sometimes necessary to comb through that data before we should use it because it can be misinformation, which is different than disinformation, although both may start with an opinion. The COVID-19 pandemic is a prime example where this happens on a daily basis, contributing to the 1.7 megabytes of data per second each human has created in 2020, as explained by Jacqueline Boulau on Tech Jury, how much data is created every day in 2021. Remember the 3.5-inch floppy disk? That could store 1.44 megabytes of data. So, every second, each of us is generating one and a quarter of those disks, or 75 every minute, 4,500 every hour, and 108,000 disks every day. That's a lot of data to create and consume. While an important factor, the focus of this isn't about how much data we create as much as it is how it gets created and consumed as the lines between opinions and fact get blurred. In most of the free world, you can have an opinion without much consequence, other than someone perhaps disagreeing with you as you each stand firm in your views on a given topic with varying degrees of facts or knowledge while trying to convince each other of each view. You can have all sorts of opinions, like the world is flat, that the sky is falling, that COVID-19 is manufactured to control you, and even that 1 plus 1 equals 3, although none of those may have any factual substance. Opinions can be fun. Opinions can also be foundations for misinformation, where perhaps false information is unknowingly distributed. This happens quite often on social media as data is consumed in short time spans with time pressure anxiety to share and like as often headlines are the precipice for distribution without validating the contents that accompany it. What results is the distribution of information that is false. While the person perhaps shared the misinformation without intent, they may have also been careless and lazy contributing to greater societal divides or other harmful consequences unbeknownst to them. Unfortunately, this can go one step further. There is also an abundance of disinformation on social media. Disinformation is when a person knows that the information they are sharing isn't factual at all, but still decides to share, post, and promote it. Perhaps because it supports their opinion. Perhaps because it garners them support with like-minded individuals or perhaps with pure malicious intent. How can you decipher between misinformation, disinformation, and facts? Sometimes it's not easy and requires some time investment, which is a challenge in our high data volume world with changing trends on a 15-minute to 24-hour cycle, but you owe it to yourself to check what information you're going to allow inside of your head. You check the ingredient label on your grocery items, 
You check expiry dates on food. You check the label on your prescriptions and whether you believe in vaccines or not. You are also checking what's in them regardless of which side of the argument you reside on. And how far apart are the two data sets? Four, is the information being presented in a meme, a graphic that is aimed at a specific behavior? Five, is the text or graphic of the content altered in any way where the font might be different in some parts? Six, is the text or graphic different than what is on the official website of the individual or organization that is being quoted or referenced? While these are a few safe checks you can leverage, you can also do a few other things if you don't have the time to do these but have some suspicions about what you saw or read. One, don't click like on it, even if it's your friend or family posting it. Two, don't share it. Three, don't introduce it into your hey, did you hear dialogue throughout your day. The best way to stop the cycle of misinformation and disinformation is to diffuse it and diffuse the sources. Besides, think of all the digital data and disk junk you'll prevent Contributing to a Cleaner Data Environment. This is an opinion article by Guido Prino of the Go On With Guido podcast. Go On With uh, Guido podcast listeners, welcome back to the Four Fans Talk Sports, where everyone here is expressing their opinions as fans, just like you. There are no network obligations, no sponsor pressures, and no product placement, just pure fandom mania. I welcome back Brian, Roland, Clark, and myself. Um, welcome back, everyone. We are in October, and it's NHL season, so our uh, session today is really going to focus on a lot of hockey, uh, but there are a couple of other things that we want to get to uh, as well. Um, right now, the Blue Jays, they're they're hot. I think they're one or two games out of a, a wild card spot. Um, anybody following the Jays? Yeah, absolutely. They're one game back, and uh, they're in tight with the Yankees and the Red Sox. They're uh, they've been seem to be going back and forth uh, for a while. There, they caught up. They were a game ahead, then they slipped a bit. So uh, it's uh, this one's going down to the wire. It might it might just get me excited again. I haven't really followed a whole lot of the Jays, other than hey, how are they doing, sort of thing. But really, haven't gotten into player mode of them. Um, like. I gotta tell you, Guido, the, the the Jays are have some of the Jays are having absolutely exceptional seasons, uh, setting records. Like Vladdy Galero uh, has, has surpassed his father. Uh, I think he hit his forty fifth or forty sixth home run and wow. surpassed what his uh, what his father was able to do. Uh, Simeon's hit setting records for for second baseman. Springer's uh, back from injury and, and and knocking him out of the park there. They're they're playing exceptional. It's just unfortunate they got off to a bad start at the beginning of the season with some uh, less than stellar pitching, but uh, they seem to have figured that out and uh, they're they're uh, they're making a run for it. Well, maybe isn't, the, uh, isn't their next series here against the Yankees in Toronto? Yeah, that's it. Three against the Yanks, and if they can take two out of three, they're uh, they'll be in uh, they'll be in good. They'll be sitting good. And, I, and there's not a lot of games left, right? There's what six, seven games? How many wow. games yeah. left? Not a Six. Yeah, six games, yeah. You know what? Even if they don't make it, I'd rather see this. I'd rather see down to the wire, fighting, you know, a couple of teams fighting for it to get in. Uh, it sounds exciting, right? Yeah, you know what I got to say? The thing that's neat, because I, I used to watch the Jays back in the, you know, in the old days with uh, Joe Carter and, and that, and I kind of lost a little bit of interest when Batista and that, and they kind of 
you know, drop it. This team is fun to watch. And if I don't know, uh, Roland Clark, if you watch any of the games, you can just see the fun that these guys are having. Uh, and, and I think Vladdy Guerrero has been a big part of that. Uh, he introduced, I don't know, there's a, a tradition of the home run jacket. And uh, after every home run, they, they've got this uh, suit jacket that's got the nationalities of all the players on the team on the back of it. And whoever hits the home run, they they parade, you know, they have to greet them, put the jacket on, and they parade down, get their picture taken. It's kind of a neat little neat little celebratory thing, and you can see they're having fun in the uh, in the dugout. So we should adopt yeah. that. We should have uh, some good young players. Some good young players on that team. We should yeah. adopt that here, guys. Playing we we should have too. a. We should have a jacket at the end of our four by four by uh, four on four. <laughs> Whoever's got the best four on four puts the jacket on or something, eh? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you the story about jackets. We used to host a golf tournament. We didn't have any prizes, so we went out to Value Village and bought the four <laughs> worst looking jackets we could find. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I gotta tell. Speaking of That's funny right. looking, the Jays are great, but I gotta tell you that haircut on on uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Is something to behold. The guy looks like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. He looks like uh, one of the birds or Yertle the turtle or whatever. I don't know. If you haven't seen him, you got to check out the hair, the hair, I, uh, haircut on this guy. It's it's something to behold. Poor Dr. Seuss. <laughs> how, does he, how does he keep that up though? How does he keep that haircut up? I don't know, man. I don't know. It's like. I think he touched the ball at the science center and it never it never reversed. <laughs> So, so you got Clark. You're you're not a Jays fan. I I know you're not a Jays fan. I, I'm I'm still an Expos fan, know. if that means anything. But um, I guess you're you're the Tigers fan, right, uh, Clark? I I mean eh. a, a bit. They're they're my team, but I don't pay that much attention. Uh, it's it's kind of like being a Lions fan, where it's oh. like okay, you you know horrible things are going to happen, so you gotta take a step back a little bit. I, I was and, waiting. And, and they had they, they had their and the, the Tigers had their horrible start. And you know this year, I mean, the, they made it respectable. They, and and that's that's what you can hope for as a Tigers fan. You yeah. don't get like we're not getting pennant races or anything. But can they make it respectable? Hey, they did that this year. That's the that's a small victory. Yeah, it's, you know what? They're, 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 they'll do something this year. They're almost a five hundred club. They're almost a five hundred yeah. club this year. Yeah. yeah, and who expected that at the start of the season? So, hey, that's a small win. It's not a real win, but it, it, hey. So, guys, a bit of a bit of nostalgia in, uh, in in our conversation there, Brian. You brought it up with some of the the former Jays and the former teams and and whatnot. If we transition to hockey, um, one of our regular listeners um, actually reached out, Andrew. So, shout out to Andrew for reaching out. He wanted us to talk about. Who is the best NHL captain of all time? Um, so I was like, hey, all right, let, let's do it. Let, let's uh, let's have a look at this. Um, so thanks, uh, Andrew, for for putting that out to us. Um, let's go around. Um, who is the the and and I guess the thing to remember here is um, I won't put any parameters on it uh, other than if you wanna if you wanna include on ice and off ice, um, just just uh, maybe preface that so. Clark, who is the who is the best NHL captain of all time? You know, I can go with the Homer pick here and not <laughs> feel bad about it, and not even feel like I need to justify it and say Steve Eiserman. Wow, I mean, that's it. Not, not even going to explain it. Steve yeah. Steve Eiserman on and off the ice. Yep. All right, Brian. 
Okay. My favorite captain as a kid was Davy Keon of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, I'm not saying he's the best captain of all time, but I he was my favorite when I was a kid, and then it later became Daryl Sittler. Uh, there's a short list of greats, uh, and, and obviously Messier comes into the conversation, Crosby, Gretzky, Lemieux, bunch. But guess what? Two votes for Steve Eiserman. Wow. For me, the greatest of all time, the longest-serving captain in NHL history. He was made captain when he was 21 in 1986. He served 19 seasons, 1,300-plus games as their captain, and he led the Wings to the Cup in 97, 98, and 2002. Bork's a close one because uh, from the Bruins. He captained the Bruins for 15 years and led them to the playoffs each and every year. Hey, Eiserman jersey. Each and every year, but he never won the ultimate prize. That's why Stevie Y gets my vote. Great guy on the ice and off the ice. And he's he's a he's a total hockey guy. After he gave hung up the skates, he was uh in the front offices of a of a couple of really good teams. So um Stevie Y gets my vote too. So two for Stevie. All right. Stevie Stevie Y and Clark's sporting the Stevie Y jerseys there that he's got going on. Um look at that, eh? Nice jerseys. Yeah, um yeah. how about you, Ro? I, I made a little list, a short list. Uh, I went with John Bellavo as number one, Gretzky, Dennis Potvin, Mark Messier, and Steve Eiserman. When I looked at when I looked at them, especially Bellavo or any good captain, right? They lead by example. They're talented. They raise the level of everyone's game to you know to their level, or they try to raise them to their own level. They show up and play in all games, especially in critical games and big games. They get everyone involved, different players. There's a culture with them on and off the ice. Yeah, you need to win a cup to be a good captain, right? He's the coach's right-hand man, too. Uh, the same message as the coach. Doesn't have to agree with him all the time, but they normally are, they're on the same page. They need to be a winner. Bellable, as a player, won 10 cups, five as a captain in, that, in a 10-year span as, a, as that captain. 17 total cups, another another seven cups as an executive with the with the uh, with the club. So you look at that kind of record, and it you know I don't think anybody else can can surpass something like that. So I'm, I'm I have June I, at, at, the, at the top. I'm I'm a little bit torn. I, I'm surprised you guys. I heard Messier a couple of times, and I I just can't. Uh, I can't put him not even in the top five, uh, to be honest. Uh, uh, I, I agree with you. I think he's the most overrated captain. Yeah. Every time they always say. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. You know what I think it stems from? That we, 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 I talked now. about this. I think this stems from that time in the, that series where he made the prediction yeah. that they were going to win. With the Rangers. You know what? And that's a coin flip because they, they could have very easily have lost that game. But because he predicted they'd win and they did all of a sudden, he gets this big reputation as the greatest leader of all time. I don't buy it. it it's hard, and, but you know, you think you think captain, and and you all touched on it. There's a there's an element of impact, right? What kind of impact do they make? And for me, you know, I start thinking about impact, and I go, well, what kind of impact do they make to the team with their presence? And you you got to think of guys like Mario Lemieux, right? When when that guy comes back and how he perseveres and and does that, um, you know. But then. There's a bigger impact. Like you roll, you mentioned Jean Beliveau, and I'm a little bit torn between Jean Beliveau and I'm torn between the Rocket, because um, you know when I consider on and off the ice, 
it's one thing to lead your team, um, you know, to the multiple cups. But when you lead an entire province or a country um, with you, um, like the Rocket did, right? He changed culture. He changed the way um, they were viewed and, and, and parts of the game. And, you know, Brian, I hate to bring the refs into it. Um, but, but you think back to, to what was going on with, with, uh, with the, with the French players and, and with what was going on with the rocket. And, and he was one of the guys that kind of stood up. So, uh, my bias, my bias on Beliveau is having worked with him and, and having met him and sort of seeing the, the person outside of, of the ice and, and how he treated people. Um, that's where I'm torn uh, between those two guys. Um, I, I don't know if I could call it. It's one of those situations where for me, it's a tie between those two guys, but I get your Stevie wise. I, I get it. He's a hockey guy. He's got class. He's, um, you know, he follows the, what my expectation was of, um, a leader in, in our modern, um, in our modern day sort of, uh, um, hockey world and what I'd want a leader to be. Um, Brian. Yeah. So there's one name we didn't mention in all the names that, that we've been tossing around and, and you tweaked me to it when you talked about leading a country, Joe Sackick, quiet, quiet, unassuming captain of both the Nordiques and the avalanche for a total of 17 years as captain, the quali- qualification of winning a cup. He won two cups with the avalanche. He also led Team Canada. Um, he's just one of he, he just wasn't that guy that had that real high profile as some of the others. But I think uh, that was a, a quiet, uh, effective leader who, uh, who led those. And I think I think I would definitely put him in the top five. Uh, for me, Sakic was just one of those guys. Longevity, leadership, and results. Uh, and and he never he never seemed to get into any type of controversy. So that's another guy. He was my close second to uh, to Stevie White. See, they they all have the same thing for me. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I like as a, as a Red Wings fan, I'm supposed to hate everything Avalanche and all that. <laughs> I have always loved Joe Sakic. He was a fantastic player, a fantastic captain, and now is a fantastic GM. Clark, you didn't yep. you didn't throw Ted Lindsay into the mix? How come? <laughs> um, because I was all in on Eisenman. All in on Eisenman. You know what? Yeah. The, the, there's a commonality here, guys. There's a commonality in the in the guys that we're picking, right? It's it's really on and off the ice, and and we've talked a, a lot about behavior in our past episodes, right? Yeah, I I didn't want to bring it up, but when you guys were talking about the ten, when Roland was talking about the ten cups that the Canadians, I did some research, and apparently. They were three dollars and eighty-five cents over the cap in nineteen. <laughs> you, you, know, you think of were those Canadian dollars or American dollars? Yeah. You think of of, of Bellavo as a captain, right? Ten years, ten years as a captain. He was winning the cup every other year. I know you guys are on the cap issue here. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. I agree. Bellavo's fabulous captain. And what a class, class, classy guy. All I have yeah. to say, Brian, all I have to say is this. It was three to one. Three to one. It was three to one. 
Yeah, I don't get that. All right, what do you mean you don't get it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop there. All right. I don't know that we've settled uh, on all of us agreeing on who the, the number one all-time captain was, but I think that we agree on some of the qualities of the number one captain, and everybody that we've mentioned certainly seems to have those. Um, sticking with hockey, guys, and, you know, we, we talk about three teams a lot because, you know, we're, we're sort of fans of them, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Habs, and the, and the Detroit Red Wings. Um, just around the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, there's a lot going on with the, with the team in the offseason, or maybe not. Um, they brought in uh, Josh Hosang. They, they signed him to see how he's going to work out. Didn't quite pan out on, on the island with, the, with New York. Um, you know, they've got a couple of goalies. Uh, they've got Campbell and Mrazek. Now, some people are saying, hey, two backup goalies. Um, there's the Mitch Marner factor. You know, are the fans, are the fans tired of Mitch Marner? Um, Austin Matthews hit the ice today, and that's a big surprise. Um, you know, is he, is he going to be ready for the start of the season? What do you guys think? Where, where do the Leafs sit? Where do the Leafs sit this year with all the stuff that's going on? Brian. I'll do my best Nunzio from Woodbridge and say they're <laughs> going to win the cup this oh, year. <laughs> oh, hey, listen, it's good to see, uh, it's good to see Matthews back probably a little earlier, as you said, than most expected. Great to see Tavares playing in the, uh, right. in the season games after getting his bell rung uh, last, uh, last year in the playoffs. Uh, the Josh Hosang one's interesting. I, I read, I read the interview with him and uh, this is a guy that's just happy to be playing hockey. Absolutely loves the Leafs. And said he'd uh, he'd do whatever it takes to to be there. Whether it pans out or not uh, remains to be seen. But uh, hey, at least he's bringing the right attitude. I think the big issue for the Leafs this year is going to be in net uh, with Freddie Anderson leaving, who was a, a a class A goalie, but was starting to to slide a bit with his level of performance. Yeah. Um, you know, they got Jack Campbell, who had an amazing run in his start last year, kind of set the record for wins uh, at the start of this at the start of. Uh, playing but then tailed off and to me he seems to be a guy that that's puts a lot of pressure on himself yeah. and 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 plays those head games that goalies sometimes do they signed Mrazek they got Riddich I was surprised they didn't go after David Ayers the Zamboni driver I thought that would have been uh, a good signing for uh for uh for the Leafs to go after but anyway um I think they're good up front. Uh, they got good depth in the team as far as uh, on the ice, but at the back end and net remains a big question mark for me. Clark, you you followed Morazic for a while as a as a as yeah. a Red Wing. What do you think of that? Yeah, I've I've always liked Morazic. Uh, his the end. I mean, it was years ago now, but the end of his run in Detroit was kind of baffling to me. Uh, it, I mean. But like I said, that was years ago now. Um, I think, I mean, I don't think that the Leafs have upgraded in goal as much as they probably would have liked to, but I don't think that that's a really big weakness either. Um, I mean, it, I mean, with the kind of roster they have, especially with their forwards, it might be the weakness on the team. Uh, but I think there are a lot of teams that would be, I mean, absolutely content with Campbell and Razek as their tandem. Uh, is that enough for them to take the next step? And that's really the big question. I kind of lean towards no. I don't. I I don't see the team, the the Leafs. I mean, as I mean, even 
anything can happen, long season, all that stuff. Throw, throw all the caveats in there. Yeah, uh, they mark their curse just like the Lions. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, there is some of that. There, there's certainly something to say of all the history they've got to shake off. Uh, but looking at other teams in the East, other teams, I mean, uh, other teams in the Atlantic, I don't really see it happening for them this year. Roly, you you've been you usually troll Leaf fans. What what's your uh, <laughs> what's your take? What's your take? Uh, on? You know, players like uh, Hosang, they're on every team. You know, I think every team tries to reach out and find this golden nugget on of a player that mm-hmm. you know hasn't achieved anything with sometimes two or three other teams, right? He's 25 years old. Maybe something could happen with him, like Clark said. Maybe it can, maybe it can't. Who knows, right? It, you know, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, the two backup goalies, well, you said two back, backup goalies. Campbell's a good goalie. I don't know if he's, uh, you know, a number one starter. Um, but both of them, I, they might have a good season. I think if it comes down to the crunch after, you know, playoff time, I think that's where it might show the most. Yeah. Uh, your other point, uh, you know, Marner getting traded, I don't think so. Dubas loves that guy. I, Marner, Mitch, Marner's, I, Mitch Marner's not going anywhere. I'm giving, I'm giving Mitch Marner half a season. I think that the, the Toronto Maple Leaf fans are going to um, – uh, they're going to they're gonna turn a bit on Mitch this year, I think. That you started to see it in the playoffs last year. Um, he said, I think he said something today. He's going to try something different on the power play, but uh, I don't know. I I think that the Leafs, if they want to get better, they need they need to trade Mitch Marner, and they're going to get back. Uh, they should be able to get back a, a package that would really help the team. And I think for Mitch Marner, it would be better if he went somewhere else. I think he would rediscover his touch, maybe even in the playoffs. But as far as as far as the Leafs, like um, you know, Clark, you said weakness. I think it's the first part of that. I think that the the Leafs are not, and we saw it in the playoffs. If you can bang them around, if you could play them on, if you could play them on the wall, if you could, if you could get in their face and stop the speed and stop the skill, they just the, there's no there's no grit. And you take that down, and what do you got left? You got you got to get by Campbell and Mrazek. Doesn't seem that hard. I right, listen. I can't score on them probably. But <laughs> the other NHL guys, once you get past them, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm always on the Leafs anyways. I, I'm always, I admit there's a part of me that, that you know, relishes in, in the fact that uh, uh, they haven't been able to put something together just because I'm a more of a Habs fan, right? And it's, the rivalry's there, so it's all in good fun. Hey, speaking of the Habs, guys, Weber, um, he's gone, right? It seems like he's gone and, and they're without their captain. You got... Carey Price, who's sort of nursing the knee thing, he's out for the start of the um, the uh, preseason. Hoffman went down a little bit. Their new guy went down. But, and we've talked about this guy a few times, Drew in his back. He's happy. He's, um, you know, and, and they addressed the issue. We suspected, you know, uh, mental health as, a, as an issue. And, and some, they didn't get too deep into it, but uh, he's happy to be playing. Um, you know, and the Canadians got Kotkaniemi's out. Uh, but hey, they added Dvorak and, and they made some moves there with a couple of other players. Um, they got the kids, Caulfield, Suzuki, Romanov, Evans with some experience. And I have to laugh. They just, they just signed, uh, 
Sammy Niku and they threw number 15 on the back of his jersey, sort of as the final stamp to say, see you later, Jess Berry. Um, where did that, what are the Habs, what are the Habs this year when you think of all of that, guys? Roll as a, as a. Roman Erdogan? Yeah. yeah, what do you mean? They're going to miss Weber. They're going to miss Weber yeah. for sure. Uh, you know, they brought in a couple of players there to try to replace them uh, with Savard being one of them. Uh, you're not going to replace uh, Shea Weber. Price, I think he'll be okay. They'll, they'll give him some time off, and once he, you know, he rehabs his knee, should be good. Hoffman's out, I think, for a month now. Something happened to him. Like, was it a hand or something? I forget what it was. Uh, you know, he's a scorer. I think he could score some goals for Montreal. Uh, older player, uh, could be useful. The kids, they are what they are, right? Caulfield, Suzuki, I like Romanov yeah. too. They good playoffs last year, good season. Uh, they'll miss. I don't. I don't think they'll miss KK. Um, nah. You know, I, I think they didn't want to lose them, but they have a decision to make on that. Not worth six Denor, million. They might miss Denor in the playoffs. Right. You know, they might miss him in the playoffs when it comes time. And that new signing again. They're taking a shot at at a twenty five year old mm. who's been with the Jets and played in Sweden. And will he make it or will he not make it? Who knows? Now you're you're making an assumption. You said playoffs, Brian. You, you said <laughs> you said playoffs. Go ahead, Brian. Playoffs. Yeah, listen. Hey, to quote the Who, the kids are all right, and I think that's going to be the strength for the for the Habs. The uh, Suzuki, Caulfield, Romanov, Toffoli uh, played great. Uh, I think they made a good call on letting uh, Konami go, uh, and Dvorak. I think is an upgrade for the team. Yeah. Uh, Dano is going to be a big loss for them. Weber's a loss for sure. Dano is going to be a loss. Um, Price Price was was mediocre during the regular season. Like everybody's re, you know remembering him from the from the, the the absolutely magical playoff run that he had, but he didn't have the greatest regular season last year. And and uh, I wouldn't expect him to uh, to rekindle the uh, the magic of the playoffs during the regular season. I don't expect as much from the Habs this year. Remember, they finished 18th in a 31-year, 31-team league last year. They weren't. They they just caught lightning in a bottle and had an absolutely, absolutely magical run in the playoffs. I don't expect the same this year. 2021-22 uh, will be a reality check for this team, and I'm picking them to finish fifth and miss the playoffs. Oh, you've already you've already moved on to, to projections. We'll get we're going to get to that, but you've already got them. You've already got him out. He's uh, he's anxious to get him yeah, out. Yeah, I don't think they're. I I think they caught lightning in a bottle last year. They squeaked into the playoffs and then made the most of that opportunity, which was great for them. So well, you know what? I I'll agree on one thing with that you said, and I've said for a few seasons that Carey Price, great goalie. Um, he's a really good. I think he's a really good tournament goalie. Like if you give the guy you know, uh, 16 to 20 odd games to play with in a tournament style. Um, I'll take that guy every single time, but over the course of a season, he go, you know, he has those ebbs and ebbs and flows. Um, and I don't know if it's because of the team he had in front of him the, the past several years and, and fatigue. Um, but he just, it's just another level in the playoffs that, that he gets to, right? Uh, almost Patrick Wyask, if I, if I may. Now, before we get to the Red Wings, and I want to go to, to Clark for that. Anything on the Habs for you, Clark, before we go to the Red Wings? You know, I, I think I, Brian covered a lot of what I was thinking. That, yeah. I mean, the, the, the kids are 
really kind of the core of this uh, Habs team. And uh, I I love Suzuki in particular. Uh, I'm a great player. He's going to be fun for a lot of years. Uh, are they going to are they going to miss KK? I think they will. I don't think that uh, I, I I I don't think it was worth paying him the money. But I do think that's going to hurt losing him. I, the, and that's that's the kind of offer sheet that I mean, that's how offer sheets should be used in the NHL. I mean, you, you've got to target a player who can help your team, who it will hurt their team to, to lose and pay him a ton of money to do it. I, I And <laughs> so I, I, I think everyone made the right choice there, that the uh, the, the Hurricanes used that tool I mean, perfectly and the Canadians were right to not match. I, I also think I also think Kakinemi wanted to leave and had a chip on his shoulder and I'd rather, I'd rather lose without him than win with him. And I'm, I'm tying that back to, you know, my captain picks and, and what it's like to be a leader on and off the ice. And, and I think that kid has still a lot to learn, but he's got a lot more money than me. I think he's got $15 more than me in signing bonus anyways. Um, moving to the wings. I don't know who the Detroit Red Wings are. I don't know what their identity is. I, it, like I, I think of the Detroit Red Wings now, and I think uh, maybe Dylan Larkin, maybe maybe it's the coach, maybe the coach is the identity. I don't know, but they've got thirteen point three million dollars in cap space. You've got Tyler Bertuzzi who who refuses to get vaccinated, so he won't be able to play in Canada, and so they got to fill in when he when he can't go anywhere. And then you got Nick Letty in in their top four defense, and you got Bobby Ryan in their top six. Is this a team in transition, Clark? Oh, this is a team that's been in transition. That's going to continue to be in transition. Uh, I really, ideally, for the Wings, they would have gotten some lottery luck by now and gotten some higher picks that would have gotten this rebuild turn turning around a little bit quicker. They didn't get that luck. In fact, they got the opposite of that. They got passed over and over again. So uh, I mean, they're not just I mean picking uh where they finish they're finish they're they're picking below where they should have based on where they finish where's where's steve uh, Eiserman? So where's bit the, that's bit them where's steve eiserman in all of this clark uh you know i that, all that said the the uh, like bad luck all that i don't dislike anything he's doing i don't yeah. love all of it um i mean i i think nick letty is confusing for the price that they paid it's not bad to bring in a guy like him. You've got they've got him paired so far uh, in the training camp with uh, Moritz Sider. You want to get a veteran guy with your I mean, incoming rookie defenseman. Okay, yeah, it makes a lot of sense there. Uh, that pairing apparently looked really good in Traverse City, so that's uh, that, that's good to bring him in. But they paid a lot to do that. And it was a bit of a salary dump for the Islanders. So why did you pay to do that? It's a, it, it's a confusing deal to me, but it could work out. It's also one that the wings were kind of playing with house money a little bit. They had a ton of draft picks. You can't, you get to a certain point where you draft so many players, your pipeline isn't, isn't flowing in the right direction anymore. It's all clogged up. So use, use some of that draft capital to get a guy who can help you now. Okay. Maybe he can help. I'm not totally sold that he's the guy to do that. I, I just, Clark, I just um, think that, that Stevie wise got like, he, he has this tendency to 
just sort of surprise you with some moves after. So I, I'm I'm waiting to see oh, yeah. what, what it is, you know? Like, there's more to it. I, well, I think, and that's what, the, the summer move that I think was really, like, Iserman's big move was the Nadelkovic trade. Yeah. I love that deal. I absolutely love that deal. I mean, it could blow up spectacularly. <laughs> I mean, he's only got I mean, 23 games of real experience. Yeah. I, but he looked really good in those 23 games. That is That was worth the chance that, that they took there. I agree. Um, I agree. So, I mean, so what is this team? I'm, I, I, I'm with you. It's Dylan Larkin and a bunch of other people. Yeah. Uh, but maybe by the end of this season, we'll see what some of those other people are. Right. Um, before we before we get to some projections, any any quick uh, any quick things on the wings, uh, Roller Brian? Roll, you follow the wings sometimes too. Oh huh? uh, yeah, a little bit. Well, even even the move that Steve made uh, at trading deadline, you yeah. know, he got rid of Mantha. Oh yeah, uh, traded him and picked yeah. up Branna, yeah. which he's a good young hockey player. That's right. I, I don't know what to expect from the wings this year. They might be a little better than last year. But I'm not going to question anything that Iserman does. <laughs> I think he knows what he's doing. It might take another two years, maybe two, three years. This team's heading in the right direction. I, so so I'm thinking the Detroit Red Wings are going to miss the playoffs. If we're talking Atlantic Division, wings, wings are out. Oh, absolutely. Sabres. <laughs> Sabres. My, my projection is they're going to win the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope so. Who I takes this, this, year, this year? Would be a great year to win the lottery. Who oh, takes? Uh, who takes the Atlantic Division, guys? Anybody yeah, think man. that the Tampa Bay Lightning won't won't uh, no, win? Until, until until Lightning, somebody beats baby, eighteen million over yeah. the cap. We are going to win. Here we go. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think the Lightning are going to take the Atlantic Division. Um, yeah. I, I, the Canadians, I know a lot of people are counting them out and just like last year. I don't know if they're going to use that as fuel and, and back back in, but I'm sitting on the fence whether they're going to, they're going to make it in there or not as a wild card, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, you know, have a good year is Florida. Florida's, uh, they're coming yeah. on. Florida's coming on, right? Yeah. They really stacked their team too. So yeah. they're going to come this year. Tampa, Tampa lost the whole line. They lost the whole line from the playoffs. That played fantastic yeah. for them. They're gone. Well, when you have when you have listen, but when you have more money than all the other teams, that's that's what happens. Um, the Metropolitan Division. Uh, what do we think there? The you got the Islanders, the Penguins, you got the Hurricanes with their six million dollar man, um, the Capitals. Um, I, I'm thinking the Islanders, based on the way that they played, that uh, maybe that they uh, come out uh, come out of that division number one. I agree. I see the Isles uh, coming out number one, and I see the Isles uh, also taking the uh, the conference as well in, in wow. the semifinals. Wow! Nice. Yeah i i see the I see the Isles as well. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what the Hurricanes can do, especially with their goaltending. I'm that yeah. I'm I'm curious. Not saying that I like I have expectations. Just curious. Yeah. Uh, Carolina, Carolina has a good team. They don't have goaltending, man. So I don't know why they they got rid of the you know the one goalie that that the rookie goalie, they, right? They also they also picked up Anthony D'Angelo, so that that's going to be an interesting story to watch throughout the season too. Can he can he survive? Can he survive with another NHL team? Um, out west, man. You you guys we were talking Colorado. You got the the Dallas Stars. You got the Jets, who had a really good good playoff, but fell a little bit short. 
Um, Blackhawks, the Wild. Got the Coyotes. <laughs> Sorry. St. Louis. Don't forget St. Louis. Coyotes are going to give the Wings a run for their money on that, that lottery pick, I think. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, guys. I, I, I still have my Colorado jersey from when Patrick Waugh was there. So I'm a little bit, you know, I always like, like to see them. I'm going to call Colorado in the Central Division. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Same. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Winnipeg might be a surprise. Might be a surprise this year. Winnipeg, the Jets might be a surprise. But I, I do like Colorado, though. Yeah. And then the Pacific Division. The Golden Knights. The Zach Hyman factor is going to take uh, Edmonton all the way. You think, eh? I think I think that was a great steal from the Leafs, and I think he's going to make a difference in Edmonton. I don't know. Yeah, I look at the Pacific, and I think, man, do I have to pick one of these teams? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you you know, like who the Golden Knights? Like they stand out still, right? Um, You know, are the by default? Yes. What What's going to be interesting is where the Kraken finish. I think they're gonna they're 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 certainly not going to be a Vegas. uh, repeat. I think they'll probably finish uh, sixth in that uh, in that uh, division. I think they'll 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 show okay, but they'll finish ahead of the Sharks. I'll go as far they'll as they'll be in the bottom. <laughs> they'll be in the bottom three. Oh yeah, they'll finish ahead of the Sharks. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. So a little bit of banter there on the on the where's. It'll be interesting to see where 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 these all end up uh, afterwards when we reconnect. Let's go to our four on four. Um, this is where we have under a minute just to um, give uh, a synopsis or an idea of what we're thinking about, and then um, a quick rebuttal of one at the end if that's what we're interested in. Who wants to Who wants to kick this off? Brian, go for it. Sure, why not? Hey, listen, I I've had a common theme here about who rules, uh, and I'm going to stick with it, and I'm going to say young girls rule again, or should I say young Canadian girls rule? Uh. A uh, huge shout out to Canada's new darling of tennis, Leila Fernandez, yeah. and also Emma Raducanu, who was actually born in Toronto but uh, represented Great Britain. What a show they put on in the U.S. Uh, in the women's U.S. Open final, uh, knocking off several giants along the way to set up an epic final between two teenagers. Uh, one ranked 73rd and one not even ranked had to come all the way through qualifying. Emma Rat, uh, Raducanu, who ended up winning the tournament. What what a, a showing. Uh, the fans in New York were absolutely uh, floored by it and, and loved it, and they were treated to some great tennis and some awesome Canadian talent. Um, an honorable mention to uh, Felix Auger-Aliassem, who uh, represented the men's side and made it to, uh, to the semifinal and didn't quite get as far, but... Uh, the future looks great for Canadian tennis, and uh, they've got a new darling, Leila Fernandez. So shout out to her. Good, uh, good one, Brian, and and um, good one on the names. You, you nailed you nailed the names. That that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Brock, this Felix wow, name. That's, that was that was impressive. I I don't even want to go now. <laughs> like after that, <laughs> Rolly, how about you? What do you what do you got under under a minute? My mine is going to be short. Like my heart, my heart goes out to the Detroit Lions. It really does. Like I'm watching the game. I'm texting with with Brian O'Mara on this, and I'm going. To, it's over. It's over. They're up 17, 16. Uh, under a minute left. Baltimore's. They're like uh, fourth and nineteen or something, and, and they get a first down. 
and the guy kicks a NFL record 66-yard field goal. And I'm watching this in disbelief. I thought, this isn't happening. It's not. And, you know, Brian texts me, goes, no. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. Like, why does this happen to the Lions all the time? I have no idea. And my heart goes out to all the Lions fans and the team. I, I think they're playing better. But <laughs> my God, my God, how many times can this happen to them? That that That's was it. the that was the best example of a pro line ticket commercial that that could ever be. Like that was a real life pro line ticket commercial, right? Like uh, throwing the arms up. Clark, how about you? Yeah, I was going to say something else, but I'm going to jump off of what Roland said there and say that I was following the Lions game on the internet. I don't want to watch any of this. I know stuff's going to go wrong. And when I saw that it was 4th and 19, I told my wife, we have to turn the game on and see how they're going to blow this. And I said... He's gonna throw for a he's gonna throw for a first down, get into field goal position, and kick it to win. And didn't quite make it into field goal position, what you would normally call that, but other but it didn't matter. <laughs> it was easy if you watched the Lions enough to see exactly how that was going to fall apart. So I you know what? I, I'm following suit a little bit here. Um we'll get to you in a second, Roland. I'm follow suit, I'm gonna do mine. Um it, it it has it touches on it touches on the Lions as well. So I say this. You know, there are some teams that should just pack it in, fold, move, rename, rebrand, retool, and say thank you to the fans who've been supporting them year after year without any championships to show for it. Teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs who haven't won since 1967 and simply find a way to lose every playoff despite having oodles of talent. And speaking of finding ways to lose, how about the Detroit Lions, who lost this week on a, on a record 66-yard field goal? A team who last won an NFL championship in 1957 and have never appeared in a Super Bowl. It seems that it doesn't matter who you parachute in, some of these teams are simply plagued. Sorry, Leaf and Lions fans. I feel for you, but... I'm glad I rah-rah for other teams, perhaps less cursed for now. Roland, you you uh, you wanted to say something there. No, just to you know, talk about what, what Clark had said about the Lions too. That that field goal hit the crossbar. <laughs> Usually, when it hits the crossbar, it bounces out. Pack it in. It hit the crossbar and flipped over and bounced in, and I'm going. Did that really, like physics, you're going, did that really happen? How did that happen? But it did. The, the Detroit Lions, I, I've never wanted to be a fan of a team so much than I, that I do of the Detroit Lions. I really want to be a fan of them. And I, I like, no, you don't. I, no, <laughs> I, I want no like, to, no, like, having lived in Windsor, I always thought, oh man, the Lions are right there, right? Like, they're right there. I've always wanted them to do better than what they can. And, and every time I want to get close to admitting that, yeah, maybe I like them a little bit, this happens, <laughs> right? And I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you call that anymore. I really don't. I don't know what you call that. Guys, I, we're, all, we're all in agreement on our, on our four-on-fours. It, uh, it's got to stop. <laughs> like <we are laughs> that, that, that field goal brought back memories of the Leafs losing 
that playoff series to Boston where they had it. You thought they had it. You were phoning people going, they're going to win. And they let four goals in. Well, last last season, they were up 3-1. And they, you know, again, they blew it, right? Like they, these teams are finding ways to blow it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's not even pressure. Like the Lions thing this weekend wasn't even pressure. Like they, it was, it was just Bad luck. <laughs> it's just bad luck. And they, they actually played a good Anyways. game. They played a good game against Baltimore. Guys, we're we're uh, we're at our, our time. We uh, we had some good uh, good chatter this uh, episode. It was fun. We're uh, obviously anxious for the uh, upcoming NHL season. We're going to watch the Lions and and other things unfold over the the course of the next few weeks, and we'll have some fun there. The next time we talk. Um, November, and we're going to be approaching Christmas, if you could believe it. But, um, hey, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I, we have it in October, Clark. <laughs> but I, I, we celebrate it twice in my house. We celebrate the Canadian one, and then we also celebrate the, the, uh, the American one, just the, double the fun or whatever. So, um, but, uh, we'll talk. We'll talk in a few weeks, guys. Thanks for doing this. All right. All right. Talk to you. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks uh, for joining us, everybody, on the October podcast. I'm going to leave you with another song from Latchkey. We're heading into fall, cooler weather, but they're going to take us to California. See you, folks, in November. Stay safe, everybody.